Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 69 of Through the Years, the podcast that reviews Ring of Honor show by show from the beginning. My name is Trevor Day, my equally sexy co-host. Well, actually, the way I think so poorly of myself, that's not a compliment. I meant it to be a compliment. But either way, the very handsome Matt Feuerstein, always here. Matt, uh, episode 69, we're here. We've done – it's the summer of 69, summer as we record this. The summer solstice or whatever the official start of summer, whatever you recall that, is officially, I believe, tomorrow. So very timely episode. Yeah, I mean, I understand what summer is, but I don't know anything else about anything else you just said. So, happy summer. You're saying, it's, it's is hot. Matt, Matt, are you saying that um, you need someone to teach you about 69 or Brian Adams or both? That, I, that should be in like a personal ad. I do know that song, and that's all I'll say. <laughs> okay. Um, so, yes, uh, this would have been perfect timing, actually, because the show we're covering today is uh, Death Before Dishonor 3, which starts the famous Summer of Punk storyline. And for some reason, I thought Saturday would fall on the 18th when I made the schedule this with you. It actually fall, f- fell on uh, on Friday. But if we had recorded it yesterday, it would have been exactly 16 years to the day of that show. We, do, still, get, we, think- do, we do get to say, though, as a benefit, um, happy Juneteenth um, to everybody. And also, um, for tomorrow, happy Father's Day. So that is, even though we couldn't do it on the exact anniversary of uh, Death Before Dishonor 3, we do have that. It is Juneteenth. Yeah, and if you uh, don't like your dad, make them listen to the show with you tomorrow to punish them. Yeah, I'm sure they'll sit there for the entire time. (laughs) What you need to do is is, uh, is hold your dad hostage. No, just kidding. (laughs) Not advocating that. Don't, Don't ever hold anyone hostage. You gotta be like, Dad. We're gonna go out to eat. My treat, but you gotta listen to this in the car. It's it's the price you've gotta pay. You you really gotta know what these guys feel about Loki and Jay Lethal. So, um, you'll have to wait a long time but, to hear that. So that is a good plan. <laughs> but yeah, you, that, that's a long car ride. You're going out of city to uh, if, if you're if they're if Dad's going to hear that one on a car ride to a restaurant. But as always, with just a quick reminder that. Obviously, we we are on multiple feeds through the years. So if you're listening to us, you've clearly found one of them. But just in case you do not know about the fact that we're on multiple feeds, if you're listening on the uh, Pro Wrestling Only feed with lots of other great podcasts, but for some reason you just want a feed that's uncluttered with every episode we've ever done, you can just look up through the years, T-H-R-O-H, in all your podcast apps. If you are found just that feed, that's just us. But you'd like to listen to us in more of the context of a bunch of other shows covering old wrestling, including huge archives of shows that aren't even around anymore, but are great shows, shows that have certainly inspired both of us, especially, I I would say, I listen to a bunch of those shows. I know this show was a big uh, inspiration. We were really inspired by uh, Where the Big Boys Play, which was a show like this that covered WCW, so Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network. And if you want to be like the one person who, thankfully, is listening to us on YouTube, you could join the club and become the second or third person that listens to our shows on YouTube. So just search for us on YouTube. So with the plug out of the way, Matt... Um, we, I always like to cover the news between the previous Ring of Honor show and this show. There's really only one big story between the last show and this show, and it kind of ties into, uh, this weekend in a, in, a, in a few different ways. So I'll go first to a clip I saved from the Wrestling Observer from May 16th, and I saved it all the way for this episode just because I thought it applied better to here. Uh, Dusty Rhodes was on Wrestling Observer Live on uh, the, the 8th of that, May 8th, and Dusty Rhodes said on that show that he was looking at bringing in CM Punk to TNA, because at this point Dusty was uh, booking TNA, and he says regarding Punk, 
Uh, Dave Meltzer wrote, he is currently scheduled for some WWE dark matches and apparently has a huge Ring of Honor angle towards the later part of this year that he wants to do. And so, Matt, this is something we'll get into a little bit more as we talk about the show. But the idea always, like, a lot of the talk around after this angle that we're going to talk about today comes up is the idea of, oh, this was all planned for, like, way later in the year. But as we'll get into, like, we can talk about later, but... It feels like a lot of this angle is kind of time dependent. Like it's contingent on kind of a very specific thing happening in CM Punk's life that I don't know if you could have planned around it. But either way, we'll go to the next little article here. Um, in the Observer from more recently up to this around the time of the show, Dave would write, Samoa Joe signed a TNA contract on June 14th. The provisions of the agreement with TNA is that they can't pull him from Ring of Honor and that he can do potential New Japan tours. In an effort to get an internet buzz on the show, and while that is better than nothing, I'm not sure what that really means, they wanted to book CM Punk versus Samoa Joe on, the, on Slammiversary, coming off the buzz from their match of the year high placing last year in Chicago. However, Punk turned it down because of the WWE offer. Joe was leaning towards not going, but is now scheduled to debut against Sanjay Dutt. Punk irked some people by saying he wasn't going to come in and work with Joe because they weren't going to let him go 45 minutes. The reaction was, good luck in your five-minute matches on Velocity. Uh, Amazing Red and Alex Shelley have agreed to return and may be on the pay-per-view in a six-way elimination match, which is still in the process of having the prelims fully decided. Shelley's agreed to a deal as he's a Scott D'Amour trainee. So... Matt, a few things to talk about there, but I guess the first one is it's crazy to think that, you know, CM Punk, you know, could have gone to TNA and I guess gone the Joe route and not left Ring of Honor for quite a while longer. And the, I, I like the idea that he was like, you know, you know, you're not, I'm not coming in because you're not going to give me 45 minutes and then TNA being snarky back. But I mean, I can understand, you know, like I can understand you're not going to give a brand new guy 45 minutes against Samoa Joe, but I can also understand, I don't think like, I'm sure CM Punk and Samoa Joe could have had a good 10-minute match, but I don't think it's a way to come in fresh to a promotion, although, Grant, Punk had been there before. But, like, I don't think, like, the best way to use Punk and Joe would be against, like, a, a debuting against each other in, like, a 10-minute, like, just rush to try and get in your spots kind of match. No, their matches weren't, like, they didn't have that appeal, right? Like, there wasn't, yeah. like, they were, like, the touring, like, match with every, that wowed everybody. No, those were, like, deep, deep matches that involved understanding the characters and stuff like that. So, yeah, it, a lot of this punk going to TNA stuff sounds like just kind of, like, delusion from TNA at that point. I mean, like, the guy was given an offer from WWE already, right? Joe, and, and, and from what I understand, Joe wasn't. Am I right about that? Uh, yeah, actually, we can go to that actually in the very next uh, article thing I got here from the PW Torch. Uh, Samoa Joe released a statement to the ProWrestlingTorch.com regarding his decision to sign with TNA to appear at Sunday's Slammiversary pay-per-view. I anticipate my entrance into TNA and look forward to working with them in addition to Ring of Honor and New Japan's LA office. Please note that my talks with WWE were very preliminary but positive. My decision to work with TNA was sparked by several factors. At this time, I have several professional and personal commitments that are much more easily fulfilled within these working circumstances. I have read such wild speculation on why I have signed with TNA but to clear the record i did so because it is of sound financial benefit to me and my family so i mean that's joe basically saying look they gave you the best money <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure if wwe had interest it was probably very like bare bones developmental entry level deal which back then was very low yes yeah, so basically the, he did not get the kind of offer that punk got yeah 
uh, which and, is and which. Uh, I mean, like, and you know, punk is great, but it's still, it's still fucking crazy. Like, you know, it's like just. I mean, I get you know why Joe wasn't appealing to WWE at the time, but I still think they're morons. Like, like he would have gotten so over in WWE at that time if they if they wanted him to. Like, and I'm not just saying like he would have gotten Umaga level over. Like, if they wanted to push him as a top star, he would have been a top star. Just like you know, in recent years, he could have been if they wanted him to. You know what I mean? Like, it's just and and he was at his physical. I don't know. I'm. I guess this is just an old rant, but man, they but were stupid. The, fu- the funny thing is, it's always timely because like I mean, even Samoa Joe broken down. Like I was just listening to I think a uh, Wrestling Observer Radio a day or two ago, and they were covering NXT with uh, Samoa Joe's return to NXT as an authority figure, and even there. You know, you know, Joe is obviously past his physical prime in his 40s, and they were still just talking about how, you know, like, he was the best thing on the show, he just had this cool presence that no one else can replicate, that at the end of the show you want to see him wrestle all these matches against people in NXT, like, he still feels like a special star, even though he, you know, obviously he can't do everything he did when he was 30, but, yeah, it, like, as good of a career as Samoa Joe had, a lot of wrestlers would have loved to have Samoa Joe's career. It still feels like basically almost every promotion he worked with other than Ring of Honor didn't even get half of what they could have gotten out of him at every point of his career. Yes, that's true. Although, I mean, it's not, I don't think TNA did like super bad with him or anything. Like, I think, I think they, they, I think they used him, they used him okay. Like, but yes, you're right. They didn't, they didn't get the full uh, idea of what Joe could offer. You're right. Yeah, I, I think, you know, they could have pushed – they never, I think – I mean, even though he gave them, you know, with Kurt Angle, their two biggest buy rates ever, I don't think they get, ever gave him a sustained push in, as, as – I don't think they as, ever saw as him the, as the star. As the top person in the company. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think they would always defer to the new toy from another promotion like W. Like they would always push Sting or Christian or Kurt Angle or God knows Jeff Jarrett, you know. I think with Joe, it, they never give him as much rope as those guys. Yeah, you're right. I mean, but you know, I, I guess when I say they use, I mean, he was he was always a relatively protected guy and treated as someone important. I guess, yeah. And, and they gave him a chance to have good matches. I guess that's what I meant. And I guess the other th- the other thing I thought was interesting was, you know, they still stress even at this point that like in t- Joe's TNA contract, he not only can he still work with Ring of Honor, he can work New Japan. And I just feel it's so sad. Speaking of countries that missed the boat on Joe, like Joe so clearly reading all the news stories of this year, like really wanted to work New Japan. And the fact that like he was practically begging them and they couldn't do give anything more than what I think Joe described a few episodes ago earlier in the news is like an insulting offer. I mean – this guy was working in their dojo. He was friends with people that worked there and ran the company. He, his style would have been great for them, and they just never made it work. They never made it happen. It is, it is yeah. still crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, New Japan in that era, you know, not the best run group either. <laughs> it, it, yeah, exactly, to say the least. And um, finally, the last bit of news that comes from this would be, again, in the Pro Wrestling Torch, this came the day after Death Before Dishonor 3 because that was when Slammiversary happened and Joe made his debut against Sanjay Dutt. Um, regarding Samoa Joe's TNA debut, Gabe Sapolsky was impressed. Quote, 
I thought the Samoa Joe's TNA debut was perfectly booked and then perfectly executed by Joe and Sanjay Dutt. He tells the torch. It was the perfect introduction of Joe to a new product, and I'm sure TNA will do some great business with him, and they really have people hungry to see more of him. It was very nice of them to mention Ring of Honor and Joe's history in Ring of Honor, and I'm glad they could use it to give Joe some accolades in his debut. So that's the other thing about this weekend. Even though you know it had been in the running the works for months earlier and we had already seen AJ Styles work one match back in Ring of Honor before this. This weekend between Joe on the Sunday debuting on Slammiversary and Alex Shelley returning to TNA and then this show obviously with um, AJ Styles return and Christopher Daniels return this really did feel like the weekend where the barriers that were up after the Feinstein incident in 2004 came down and if anything I think this sparked an era Matt where um, like you were saying like why was TNA even trying to make an offer for CM Punk? I feel like this was the era where TNA decided like if you can't beat Ring of Honor, just like sign up their stars and like get in on that Ring of Honor action because it seemed like they were a lot more open at uh, starting at around this time to just like who's getting over in Ring of Honor? You, do they want a shot here? Let, let's let's open the doors to that more. Yeah, June of two thousand five was a extremely noteworthy month in pro wrestling, wasn't it? Um, in between, um, you know, all the, the TNA and ROH stuff sort of clearing up, um, Joe versus Necro, Punk. Going, getting signed, and then what happens on this show with Punk, um, Joe debuting in TNA, and you know whatever you say about Joe's TNA run, he sure had a hell of a 2005 there, and his, um, you know, I'd say m- the vast majority of his best 2005 matches were in TNA, actually, with a few, you know, notable exceptions like the the match we reviewed last week, and also um, some ROH matches that come later in the year. Um, so that's a big deal, and then of course you have. ECW One Night Stand, which was a really huge deal. And actually, WWE had another really good pay-per-view in June 2005. So this is one of the better months, I would say, of that of that decade, just in terms of, like, good wrestling, in America anyway. Yeah, when you really lay it out all like that, like, if you were writing a series of columns or doing a podcast just about, like, months in wrestling, you could feast on this month. And, and the way, you, like... I didn't really think of it that way until you kind of just, yeah, when you put it all together, like you just did, like, man, a lot of stuff happened, a lot of good stuff and notable, important stuff, like you said. Yeah, Vengeance Vengeance 2005, I think, was the other WWE pay-per-view. And, like, I don't know how much people remember that show. That was a damn good show. That had the second Kurt Angle versus Shawn Michaels match. It had... Really, the first Batista match that I could think of that was I would that I really wowed me, which was that Batista versus Triple H Hell in a Cell, which I remember not thinking was going to be good, <laughs> and then it was really good. And you know, I think it was there was Christian and, and Jericho and Cena in a, in a three. Like, that was a really good. Actually, that I, I actually started souring on WWE a lot, like right after that. Um, yeah, but that was a that was a damn good pay per view too, and that's like some that's mostly forgotten in all this other amazing stuff that happened that month, you know. And like I said, the show we're going to review tonight is uh, is part of you know the historic stuff that happens that month. Definitely, and that brings us to our show tonight. That would be Death Before Dishonor three, which took place June eighteenth, two thousand five, at the Men in Sports Arena in Morristown, New Jersey, in front of a reported crowd of six hundred fifty people. 
by men. And I just kept saying that in my head every time I read this in the notes. Um, Matt, a tradition I think I'm, we're starting to see emerge here, which I love, which is every time Ring of Honor has to change a building, one of their major markets, like eight times out of ten, Gabe Sapolsky gives a quote to the torch saying about how much better this new building is. And this was no different because I'll go to the Pro Wrestling Torch. Regarding the new venue Ring of Honor is using for their New Jersey area events, Sapolsky says, quote, The men in sports arena in Morristown, New Jersey, is a huge improvement over the Rexplex. All the seats are comfortable and have a great view. There were always sight, light, sight line issues at the Rexplex, and if you were in the bleachers, you were really far from the action. So, I mean, for all I know, that could all be true, but it was just it's, it seems so often that, like, Whenever they change buildings, it would be like, yeah, that old building wasn't that good. This is the new shit. And it was like, well, yeah. you didn't say that when you were running that building. But I, I get it. You want to put the best positive spin, especially on what was always a problem for Ring of Honor around this time was just in so many of their markets, just maintaining a consistent venue between all the Boston area troubles and the troubles they had the year before in Philly. And then, you know, now even New Jersey, the Rexplex shutting down when they that was already emerging. It's like their new big biggest place to go and they already had to find a new home there so i um before they only had two shows at this building yeah again the problems continue yeah and i um i wasn't at this one but i was at the other one so i can tell you a little bit about it i can't compare it to the rexplex because i never got to go there but um this bill i mean it's definitely true that the sight lines were good the issue with this building was it was way too big for what roh could draw like it was like a a small like arena that had like you know arena seats and i remember the time i went i i I sat pretty far back you know but not because like i had to but just more like i don't it was just you know easier to like just go up high and see you know the whole arena and stuff but there were so many empty seats i mean you could see them on this on this show you know so you know if, if you have an issue with you know a lot of empty seats at wrestling shows and then this is not a great building for uh for a company like roh if you don't mind that i guess it's nice to have space <laughs> so but you know I, th- I think shows like you know roh shows do the atmospheres are best when the crowd is is pretty packed in right yeah. um so I guess you know whatever, whatever, however much you value that aspect of it will determine what you think of this venue. But you know it's a real venue; it's not like a makeshift, like let's turn this into a performance venue. It's like this was really designed for people to come and sit and watch a spectator sport. I think it was hockey. Um, I, I'm, I'm not positive about. It. I know that the next, I, I, I know the next place they go was a hockey was a hockey rink but you know in new jersey but i i i am hard I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering for this one i think you're right because when punk leaves in the building at the end of the night i think he's like walking by what looks like like a hockey board that's been pushed to the side or something like that so i i do think you're right that this was probably like a minor league hockey building or practice rink or something like that yeah the, the, yeah, other, it, the other downside i was going to say about this place is that it's a little bit further from new york city it's a little bit further outside the city whereas elizabeth is is you know is pretty close but you know, I guess you know, whatever. Yeah. They, they now, now they now they actually run in the city, so that's less of a big deal. I wonder if that played into because I I was kind of thinking I I you know obviously we always just stick with the observer attendance even though we know they're not always accurate just because we want to stick with one um, source to be consistent compared against each other and it's funny because you know I don't know if six hundred fifty fans. Is good or bad for this? Well, I actually lean on it being bad because you got AJ Styles' full-time return against a mystery opponent, and you've got CM Punk, you know, one of the biggest stars in the company. What everyone thought on this night was his last match for the world title, and you know, 
I granted usually their biggest shows up to this point that had gone over a thousand and were usually helped by like a big name guest star, you know, someone from Japan or like proximity to WrestleMania or something like that. But it still feels like not even hitting 700 for the return of AJ Styles plus CM Punk's probably wonders if changing the venue maybe played a little bit of a part in that. I, I don't know. Yeah, I but, mean, I'm I'm sure it did, and also it comes a week after a show in you know in a lot of ways the same market. You know, it's not exactly right right there, but you know, New York, New Jersey fans are pretty. You know, I think there's a lot of overlap there, um, so I think um, you know that could that could be it too. And and I do think the location was a little bit less convenient to get to, especially if you didn't have like a car. And and even something I just thought, thinking again of what you were saying earlier about all the big shows that happened this month. Like, if you live in the New York, New Jersey area, with all the ECW revival stuff between One Night Stand and uh, Hardcore Homecoming and all that stuff, like there was a lot of places places sucking your money if you were a wrestling fan in the Northeast in this month, you know, and the IWA itself, CZW Double Shot. Like, I could see some fans just being like, "Man, I would love to go to the show, but I blew a lot of money like already this month on." wrestling events even just live wrestling events yeah but um so we open the show with colt cabana on the phone backstage he's ordering two of something i don't think we ever find out what the two things he's ordering are he hangs up and tells us this is a very special very emotional night because it is the last ring of honor match of his brother his friend his fellow saint cm punk uh colt says before punk leaves there's one thing he must make happen which is have punk on good times great memories uh colt then introduces punk but punk doesn't show up colt says he's being told by the producers that punk will be coming just a little bit later and he'll be on he promises us matt he promises us so that'll be a segment that continues on through the night he also Uh, he also talks about how it's special because six or seven years ago a skinny tattooed kid meant a quote skinny tubby little Jewish guy. So is he skinny or is was he tubby? Uh, you, does anyone have any photographs to tell me which which word was actually uh, accurate for what Scott Colton looked like? Um, in, was he trying to say he was skinny fat? I'm not sure that because hmm. that is a phrase. That is a phrase. I think a stupid phrase, but it is a phrase. Yes. <laughs> I could see Colt being that, but yeah, either way, yeah, that's a funny little uh, choosing of words. But next, we uh, we cut to Generation Next of Austin Aries, Jack Evans, and Roderick Strong outside. Aries says he's taken – lately he's taken muscle busters, sliced bread off the top rope, super key crushers. He's taken them all. Aries says he's not going to insult your intelligence. Intelligence. His neck is sore, but that's just wrestling. He, he points out, you know, Jack's, Jack's neck is sore. Roddy's neck is sore. Aries says, uh, Punk is calling tonight his final chapter, but he's not going to run off right off into the sunset with the title. Aries tells, then tells Jack and Roddy to secure a future tag title shot tonight. Jack says, don't worry, they've got this. So they, they talk about how Aries' neck is sore, and they talk, and Jack mentions that his neck is sore, and then when he talks about how Roderick's neck is sore, Roderick kind of like does like a twist of his neck. So, you know, they should have changed the name to Generation Necks. <laughs> It's Father's Day, so I had to make that dad joke. <laughs> See, your dad at the back seat, he's going to love that joke on the way to the restaurant. <laughs> he's going to love it. Uh, <laughs> um, that's going to be the only part of the show he loves, but he's going to love that. So, Generation next. Next, we get a clip of Paul London's farewell speech from the original Death Before Dishonor. And I will not go through all the clips that happen on the show. I'll, I'll call it one more, but there's going to be a lot that I ignore. But this is... This was a double DVD set and more than maybe any Ring of Honor double DVD set, although this was, 
um, common to all of them usually, there was a ton of padding. So like if you watched Ring of Honor back in the day, you could always tell basically how much extra time they had to work with by how long the entrances and the post-match things were. Because you could tell if they were cutting out almost all the entrances and cutting like immediately after the pinfalls of matches, you could tell, oh, they're really cramming things in to get into three hours. But with a show like this, especially anything on a double DVD where they basically had six hours to work with, they would show you like every second of the entrance. They would show you, you know, like way too long after the post matches when nothing happened. And then often on these double these DVD sets, they would also include just a whole bunch of like highlights from past shows, usually around some kind of theme, like the best of the year. Or in this case, we'll see they, they played basically a ton of clips of um throughout the rest of the show of CM Punk, classic CM Punk memories. And um actually, we're not going to go through them because there were just so many and they were just old memories that we've covered on through the years. But I will say what I did like is that they had Punk do like new commentary over all these like one to two minute clips. And while he said nothing really like insightful or earth shattering or any new crazy revelations, it was very like out of character, just kind of him reminiscing. And I did kind of like it as kind of a like a director's commentary over CM Punk's career, even though okay, it's very slight, but I did, I did enjoy it more than their usual. Just here's clips of things you've already seen. If you're a big ring of honor fan, but what do you think? Did you have any thoughts about all those clips throughout the night? Yeah. I liked Punk's commentary, but kind of for a different reason than you, I thought it really set up the heel turn. Well, because like it really pulls the rug out from under you. Cause he just seems like this down to earth guy in those clips and you know they're sort of out of character but if you think of them as in character like he's so down to earth but like the whole time he's plotting to reveal his true evil self and like he's just being completely disingenuous for a lot of that like the ricky steamboat thing right like where he was yeah. like how he's going to be a good person and all this you know it's just like aha he's actually evil i i, I appreciated that aspect of it and I actually even like – I like this clip, which is the only non-punk related clip flashback they pull of the Paul London Farewell speech because it kind of reminds you of like what in some ways the uh, punk segment at the end of the night is referencing, which is like, oh, this is what Ring of Honor does when a big homegrown talent leaves. It's just, you know, they probably are going to lose on the way out because that's usually how Ring of Honor does it and they're going to get a big, nice speech and it's going to be a very feel-good moment. And I like that they kind of remind you of that because definitely what Punk does at the end of the night really plays off that that expectation that that's what you're going to see that oh he's probably going to lose to Aries he's going to give like a very heartwarming speech and yeah it's it, we'll get to it when we get to it but yeah. I and, like that they're kind of priming you to remember that yeah I mean and actually the London thing would pretty much be the only example they could use to show it at this point right they're the yeah. only the only two teary farewells they really had I mean unless you count Eddie Guerrero was. Um, was uh, London and Alexis Lurie, right? Like that yeah. at this point. I mean, they have a lot in their history, but at this point. And then of course, you know, after that it'll be, you know, you get punk and a million people, but um so so it makes sense that they showed the London and also just the fact that it was from Death Before Dishonor. You know, that makes yeah. it cooler too. Definitely. And that brings us to the uh, first match on the show. It's the Ring of Honor tag title match. B.J. Whitmer and Jimmy Jacobs defeated the embassy of Fast Eddie and Jimmy Rave. They successfully defend the titles by doing so. They won in 10 minutes, 2 seconds when Jacobs pinned Fast Eddie after they hit the Doomsday Rana. So, Matt, before I give it to you, I'll just go over what the opening of the match, what the pre-show of the match. Uh, before the match starts, toilet paper does get thrown in the ring. Just a couple rolls, but we are kind of really now in the toilet paper era. It hasn't really caught on in a big way, but... Clearly, a couple of fans have decided that's something they want to do. I'm pretty um, sure those are streamers and not toilet paper. I still say that. And that, that those are. Are not, you sure? Not, because I don't think I saw white streamers the rest of the night. 
Like when Punk gets streamers later, aren't they all like like red and yellow and stuff like that? I'll have to go back and watch. But the toilet paper rolls are bigger. They're thicker when they start throwing those. You know, Matt, I was going to say I don't know as toilet paper as well as you, but I'm sure we have con- like comparable knowledge of toilet paper. In yeah, I, I mean, I, I would assume that I'm going to – I'm looking at it right now and I'm going to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> um, so Nana gets on the mic, Prince Nana, and he screams at Jay Chung for being only being a human footstool for Jimmy Rave and not for Fast Eddie. He makes her go out and do it for Eddie. Eddie um, starts to step on her as uh, the human footstool and he actually stands on her back and poses while standing on her. Nana then says, tonight the embassy is on a huge escapade, quote-unquote, to take that sucker, that fool AJ Styles out of business. That draws a big AJ chant. Nana says, by the end of the night, he will unveil his master plan to stop AJ Styles. So, Matt, the, the one thing I'll say here about this, and I know you, you'll have probably have a lot to say about, this is another low night for the treatment of Jade Chong and ring of honor just doing that but one thing that's particularly kind of crappy about this i believe this is something uh jimmy rave talked about on the nrable mention podcast i referenced the podcast he did often there because he talks all about his, this era of his career and it's a very good interview you guys should check out if you have it, if you're interested in hearing about jimmy rave but i think one thing he said was like when he did the uh footstool thing with jay chung he always made an effort to like grab the rope so he didn't put his weight on her and fast eddie clearly just stands on her with no support and it looks like if you can maybe it's just her selling but she really does hold her back and really looks like she was hurt i i think he might have actually really fucking hurt jay chung by just standing and like posing on her you know all that weight on her on you know jay chung not a huge person and i i that made that kind of added to just everything that happens tonight that made me feel kind of even grosser about this yeah. Um, and, oh, and for the record, before I comment, I just looked. I'm still pretty sure those were streamers. They were not all white. One of them was pink. Um, there is pink toilet paper, though. Um, hmm. The reason I the reason I'm I I I, 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 I I'm like kind of pedantic about that is because there is a promo that Rave cuts months later where he goes on like one of the video wires and is like. I don't want you to throw toilet paper at me. And then after that, I remember, because I'd been going to the shows at that point, it's switching from the streamers to the toilet paper. And then everyone started bringing rolls of toilet paper and throwing them at him. Um, so anyway, um, as far as Jade Chung, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if Eddie heard her or not. I mean, obviously, if he did, that makes it that much worse. Uh, um, but, you know, even if he didn't, Ooh, I know I'm we're going to I'm going to end up being a broken record on this Jade Chung stuff. You know, and more comes later. It's just going to get worse. Um, you know, la- later in the night too, but also just after that they start putting like a a dog collar around her if you remember that and like yeah. br- br- bring her around on like a leash and like it's it's just um it's just so bad. I mean, at the at the time like you know, I don't want to make you know make myself out to be you know Mister Great Person. Like, uh, you know, when I, when I first watched the Christopher Street Connection stuff, um, even back then, that was really obvious to me that this was like another level of horrible. Um, mm-hmm. The Jay Chung stuff I knew was pretty bad at the time, but I also was you know I think bought into the you know they're they're heels, so they're just doing heel stuff. Uh, the reason that explanation to me doesn't work anymore, um, you know, in hindsight is. A, I just don't think that wrestling does nuance in stories like this where you're talking about 
uh, sexist and racist violence and abuse like well like I, I don't i don't you know i think like fiction can depict that stuff and yeah i, I don't think that wrestling is the venue for it and also even if you're going to say they're heels they're going to get they're getting heat and then they're getting their first of all heat's not worth it um but also like you say well they're going to get their comeuppance we're going to see in the months to come like eventually when the comeuppance quote-unquote does come and sort of weigh that against the actual um you know what they actually do during this these many months to Jade Chung, and you know you can decide if uh, that comeuppance um, was uh, was um, worthy of of what was actually going on during that whole time. So we're probably going to be annoying, complaining about the Jade Chung stuff for a few months, but it's really like a horrible depiction, just because you know they could they could have had Jade Chung out there and like. You know they're not they're not nice to her, and you know we want it. We want to see her get away from the embassy. But the way that they have to take every moment, and I'm not you know blaming the wrestlers um, because obviously it was supported by the booking. Um, but um, I'm sure that some of it was the wrestlers just going over the top and nobody nobody reeling them in at all. But just you know the stuff that Jade that Donna says to her, you know throwing in these racist comments, the constantly just randomly just grabbing her by the hair and just shoving her. Obviously Eddie standing on posing on her back, um, and then you also have the commentary, um, which you know they'll say like, oh, how could the embassy do this? But then you have you know CM Punk like basically like slut shaming her on commentary and stuff. You know it's it there's there the the uh, there's no wrestler that seems to show sympathy toward her at this point so, which I yeah, think we'll adds another later, level but... of grossness too like the, the announcers kind of do but no wrestlers do no I'm really glad you brought this up because like, like especially the point about like you know in fiction you know bad guys can be bad guys because the thing I'll, I'll say is first off like Obviously, anyone that's a longtime listener of the show will know kind of the the arc we've gone over, where the very first segment of Ring of Honor, or one of the earliest segments, I don't, I forget, it was the very, it's the first in ring segment, you know, the Christopher Street connection, gay bashing thing, um, you know, that was horrible. We we had a whole long thing about it, and then we kind of rewatching discovered just how deep the extent of Man on Moon Bonds was to the point where we could count it every episode for years, and um. I, I, we've referenced before, like, you, you know, we always called it out and we were always offended, but like over time you kind of just get also numb to it. Right. And how many, and ten, think, how many times can you get, when can you say the same thing also, right? Like, yeah. yeah. And I think it says something that like you, like I felt a visceral reaction watching this show and you, when you had watched one of the segments on the show, like message me right away to be like that Jade Chung stuff. Like I think – it says something that two people that have watched rewatched every show and are kind of numb to Ring of Honor doing this stuff. It says something that there's something about this on the last show or two that is kind of reawakening something in us because we are, you know, it's not like we're still reacting like every single thing is, you know, the first segment of the first Ring of Honor show, even though maybe we should. But like this is kind of somehow, and I was kind of thinking why, and part of me thinks, you know. In one way, like weird way, you could argue this is progress in a sad way because so often the man on one violence in the early days of Ring of Honor was always like a heel woman getting beaten up by a fa- male baby face and it being celebrated by the announcers like, yay, great, where at least the announcers for the most part, other than some comments by Punk, are now trying to treat this like this is a heel thing, this is bad, you should find this disgusting – 
But going to what you said, Matt, and I was thinking about this too, so I was really glad you brought this up. Like, there's a whole long debate, way too long for the show to be had about, and I've seen other people try and start it at times that like, there's should be a place in fiction for bad guys to do reprehensible things. You know, it's not like, you know, fiction should be allowed to depict bad people and bad behaviors. But the thing I'll say is, Usually when fiction depicts bad people and bad behaviors, you know, the bad people get what's coming to them or they do it in kind of a responsible, nuanced way. And, and you know, I wouldn't like, say I wouldn't say usually, but if it's good and worth and, you know, yeah, and, yeah. Yeah, and worthwhile. Yeah. But I guess what I would say is Ring of Honor up to this point does not deserve the benefit of the doubt. And, and like you were professional saying, wrestling doesn't. I, I want to just actually add that. The entire yeah, no, the entire right. industry and genre of professional wrestling does not deserve the benefit of the doubt when it comes to this kind of stuff. And, and if, if some, if anything, it's it's a little bit like in a way it's progress, like I just said, but in a way it's kind of irksome. Where a company that has spent years treating women badly, like even their commentary on serious women's matches, the few times they've had them, has been very kind of demeaning and kind of like oh wow they can do a move and all and and stuff like that and so the idea that all of a sudden now they're acting like they've always felt like you should never touch a woman this is the worst thing ever like it's almost insulting to a long-term fan they're not trying to like even acknowledge their history with this stuff but and i guess my last thing i would say about the jade chung stuff i think what also, what made me, I was trying to think of why it's kind of getting to me in the last show or two. And I think part of it is on so many shows, you know, it's been women taking wrestling bumps from men. And it's still men on women violence. It still brings up all sorts of horrible thoughts and connotations and all sorts of stuff. But like a lot of what Nana does is it's just, he really just grabs her roughly by the arm and like shoves her and shoves her to the floor and drags her around. And it feels more real in a weird way. And she's often like going, ow, you're hurting me. Like in a really, like in some ways, I don't, it just feels grosser than like CM Punk leg dropping Trinity through a table. Cause that feels, even though it's still man on one violence, it's very wrestling violence. It's, cart- it's cartoony. Yeah. This is yeah, not, and- this is not cartoonish at all. Yeah. Yeah, this feels much closer to something you might, if you live in a bad home, that you might have seen in your life, you know. And yes, it, it, it's just it's not it's actual not, actual abuse, like continued yeah. abuse of a woman, and like and in the case, you know, a woman of color, and they actually reference her ethnicity multiple times, like so that that adds that other layer to it. Also, like it's you know, and and like you said, this is. Um, the, the, the announcers treat this like heel stuff, but you know, of course, this is two thousand five. There are still fans that cheer all this stuff, you know. Like, and again, I mean, we'll get to what AJ says later. Um, but you know, pu- you know, punk, you know, t- you know, it's just there's no way it's done tastefully. Obvious. I mean, you don't have to ever see it to know. Like, if you, if if someone wrote a recap just describing what happened without any commentary, come, come on, anyone listening to this knows it's not done tastefully. <laughs> like, not yeah. that it, I don't know if it can be, but it's you know, like it's it's you know, well, tastefully is probably even a bad word to describe anything like this. But like, you know, in a, any sort of responsible way that would be like we are, you know, putting light on this. Like, no, it's cheap heel heat, but in a extremely gross way. And again, like. I don't know how you felt about it in 2005, but like, so, cause I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, 
you know, better than anybody. Like I, I wasn't like, yeah, rah, 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 this is great stuff. But I also wasn't like, this ruins <laughs> the show for me. And that's sort of how I feel now. I, I think I was probably, you know, being around my early 20s or 20 around this time, like I was probably a lot more just, oh, that's wrestling or not even really that socially, as socially conscious as I should have been. But I, I do feel like watching it back again, it, it, it just takes me out of the show because, and you know, maybe this reflects, I mean, this doesn't reflect badly on me, but it's just like, I don't go, oh, that's he'll, he, it just makes me start thinking about like, real domestic violence in a way that just bums me out and distracts me from the show. Right. Like w- w- when, when, um, all the other times we've seen stuff like all the, like, like what we were saying before, like the leg drop girl through the table or she takes like the cop killer or, or stuff like that. I'm like, that's kind of gross, but that's like a gross in a pro wrestling way. And this is in a way feels gross in a more real way. And I just keep going yeah. back to that. It, it's, it's again, distracting in a way that I can't, like ignore and also just knowing that like it's going to be months of this because it is and it's and and, like there's going to be shows that are even worse i mean this was this show was rough because there were two different segments of it um but there's going to be uh you know it's just going to be the sort of thing where we sort of have to be like all right well there's stuff that we really like during this era of roh i mean you know, in a lot of ways, I love this era of ROH. It's like such like I think the booking is really good. I think there's a ton of great wrestling, but this 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 makes it a even more of a of a of a bummer because it's like ugh, this this tarnishes it so much. Yeah, and and again, it would be different if Ring of Honor at this point had a strong women's division division or a lot of women like in various roles. But at this point, I guess you could say Lacey's starting to merge as a heel manager who's kind of a strong domineering presence. But like for the most part, women in Ring of Honor to this point are mostly there to be props to get pops from being hit, whether they're males or females, or to be shrill heel managers. Like And and there's and yeah, and there and there's sexism in the depiction of Lacey too. Let's not like pretend exactly. that there's not. Yeah. Like but but it'd be the one thing if if this was like one angle amidst like a strong like modern quality women's division with all sorts of storylines and things. But instead, this is just very much the latest example of a long term pattern of basically this is like basically the only way women are treated in this company. But um, moving on after that, uh, you can tell this will probably be a good episode because you know this is another one of the ones where we do this long rant. Usually it turns out to be episodes that people remember, but Matt. Oh, uh, what do you think about the match that we uh, started introducing? This is another one of those openers where they're like, you know, they're not going for the gold. You know what I mean? They're not yeah. like trying to have a great opener. They're trying to have an entertaining opener. And I think they achieved that. I think it was solid. I, you know, it was very much built around um the embassy being heels. You know, like the, you know, they um yeah, they're choking on the ropes. They're distracting the ref. They're doing all that stuff, um, you know. Um, and um, on that level, it was entertaining. It didn't have a lot of the big near falls that the other Whitmer and Jacobs matches had, um, but I did like that it ended with. Um, I did like that it ended with the Doomsday Run. I'm glad that they seem we seem to they seem to have officially decided that is their finisher because that is yeah. a really awesome move. Um, there were some other good moves. I I really like uh, Fast Eddie's thing where he does a fireman carry into the like the neck first drop over the knee. I just think that's a that's a cool move. Like I um, you know I, this was also a um, 
a moment where they started talking sentimentally about CM Punk. I always like when they did that because it really builds up to the end of the show in a good way. But but yeah, it was. I th- I thought it was solid for what it was in terms of just like their embassy being heels, but the uh, the tag champions get one over on them and win with their big move. But it certainly wasn't. It certainly wasn't anything special. It wasn't trying to be, and the Jay Chung stuff, you know, really did distract me a lot. I completely agree about like the quality of this match. Where I think it's kind of like the uh, the Jimmy Wraith Colcabana opener we just saw, where it's you know it's it's a match where I think it's decent, like it's 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 somewhat above average, but it's not particularly great. It's kind of like. It's it's like you say it's it's not an opener that's trying to steal the show or be like a super hot barber, but it's still a decent entertainment kind of a you know like a it, it's something it, it's it's a gentle way to kind of ease into the show to kind of ease you into the event rather than just start you off with a huge bang, which is which is one way to start a show. It it can work, and um, I felt like this was a, a show where uh, or a match where Fast Eddie kind of took a jimmy rave's lead where he didn't do apart from his one you know the one movie you talked about where it's the fireman's carry into the kind of the the drop dropping the background of the guy's head over his knee and the usual near the end he does the moonsault fall away slam for the most part he fast and he kind of stuck to jimmy rave's lead as a heel which is you know don't do anything that flashy kind of um just just do more basic stuff do some cheating um I felt like some of that wasn't playing to Fast Eddie's strengths because Fast Eddie's strengths really is just do crazy stuff. Like when he was doing some basic strikes like stomps, I thought they didn't look that good. But overall, uh, yeah, I thought this was a fun, decent opener. Um, I, I thought it was interesting that BJ Whitmer played the face in peril once, which has got to be pretty rare for Jimmy Jacobs in tag matches. And I actually like Jimmy's uh, hot tag where he did like this nice springboard forearm off the ropes and was a nice little house of fire. I also thought Jimmy Rafe hit one of his most vicious looking running knees that he's ever hit. One that looked really good. And, um, I also thought it was funny that uh, Fast Eddie at one point he went for a tag and he kind of whiffed like his hand didn't connect on the tag. And I thought if there was ever a time to do the old commentary, he's legally blind line, that would have been the moment to say it. And it was also interesting. I thought like I think this is another show where Ring of Honor was trying to figure out like what BJ and Jimmy's hook as a tag team was because at first I felt like they were kind of treating them as serious. But now they're back to doing like – when they came out, BJ's in his usual white hoodie and Jimmy follows in like one of BJ's white hoodies that's way too huge on him. It's like comically large. Literally Jimmy matching needs- white hoodies in terms they're the exact same size. Yes. Exactly. And Jimmy needs BJ's help to get over the top rope and we'll see you later like them doing kind of a humor – like a humorous odd couple promo. So it seems like after briefly deciding that they were going to be a serious team, they're now going back to more of like – the funny odd couple thing where like Jimmy's wacky and BJ's more like the straight man. Like, so it'll be interesting to see how that progresses, how, how that plays out. But, um, yeah, so moving on, we get the first in the series of the CM Punk memories. And this is the only one I'm going to mention that I'll just know that we're coming off. Like there's probably like eight or nine of them throughout the night. So we'll, we'll just ignore them, but just wanted to bring up that they happen. 
I did like on the first one, though, I will say there's a graphic at the very first one that says all CM Punk memory segments were taped earlier this week at the Ring of Honor Studios. And I like that they went – that's a very Ring of Honor of this era attention to detail thing just to make you know that once you watch the end of the, ang- the, end of the night angle, they want you to know that like when you think back that like, oh, like Punk recorded all these things before the angle. So that explains why he's actually acting very nice and like a baby face and, it, you know – I, I like that they always went that extra mile to try and make things like that make sense. But yes, uh, we cut to Colt Cabana again backstage. He says he should be doing stretching for his pure title match, but he's still waiting for CM Punk to show up. Colt still insists Punk will be on his show. Then we cut to AJ Styles backstage. He says Ring of Honor gives him cold chills because this is where it happens. This is where he belongs. He's back for good. He says that that's bad news for Jimmy Rave. He says Jimbo, as he calls him, is going to have to kill him he, because AJ's going to peel his cap, punk. He's going to knock him into next week. Then maybe he'll come up with his own moves. And, Matt, this is the first of two times on this night that AJ will say the phrase peel his cap. So clearly AJ <laughs> had heard this somewhere and fallen in love with it on this night. <laughs> I, I wish it, like, it had gotten to be, to be such a catchphrase that people started chanting it. Peel his cap. Peel his cap. Um, but uh, hopefully it's not something really offensive because I don't want anybody uh, quoting me on that if it's bad. Um, Clearly it's about circumcision. <laughs> yeah. I only know it from this promo if it's actually something like, I don't know, homophobic or something. Like, don't don't, don't blame me. I should have done my research, I guess. Um, it, it was just funny to me that he didn't cut a promo like about his mystery opponent. It was just on Jimmy Rave. It wasn't like, oh, I have a mystery opponent. Nah, nah, I don't care who you put out there, right? It was just like he just cut a promo on Jimmy Rave, who he is not wrestling tonight. Um, the other thing is when he says he got cold chills, I was like – what if he got hot chills? And, then, <laughs> and 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 then it made me think of when Hulk Hogan was in the Dungeon of Doom and he was like, ah, the water's not hot. Like, but he acted like it burned him. Like, <laughs> That's one of my favorite clips of all time. If no one's ever seen that, like find the Hogan Dungeon of Doom, like from 95 clip <laughs> where he's in the dungeon and he touches something and, he, and he, I think he wants to sell it like it's fire, but like in the split second, he realizes he can't. So he goes, ah, oh, that's not hot. <laughs> <laughs> right. I, th- I mean, yeah, I think like in context, it might, there might be something that makes sense, but well, it doesn't matter. It's really funny. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. One of the best Hogan lines along with I'll be in the back eating fruit and being cool. Yes. <laughs> One of the top notch Hogan lines ever. <laughs> um, but, um, so at this point, we get the uh, Anything Goes tag team match. This is the Carnage Crew, DeVito and Loke. They defeat the Ring Crew Express in 8 minutes, 35 seconds, when DeVito pins Marcos after a Splash Mountain neckbreaker combo through a table. Um, Matt, I know I liked their match that they had in the last show a bit more than you. I probably am going to bet I like this match more than you, but I did not like this mu- as much as their previous match. I thought that match was like a solid good. I thought this was like above average. I- it is kind of similar, but kind of different in the sense of it's short. There's just some big, brutal weapon spots. Someone bleeds buckets. But there's a difference in the sense of this one was more 50-50, I would say, in the offense, or or at least closer to it, where the first one was basically the Carnage crew getting almost the entire match and basically squashing the Ring Crew Express. I felt this one was inferior because there was a bit more stand around and bleed rather than keeping – maybe it didn't quite move as briskly. But I did think there were some – really memorable brutal spots like there was a couple cool marco spots where he did a nice step up in zaguri and then he did this really cool twisting vader bomb 
onto a garbage can that was on one of the Carnage crew. And I like that where he does the Vader bomb, but then he does a little twist at the end. I thought that was really cool, like new piece of offense from him. He also did the uh, Rana where he runs someone into the turnbuckles, but instead this time he had a chair wedged between two of the turnbuckles, so that was cool. And Dunn in this match is the real standout because I think on the last show he was the guy who bled either the least or not at all. On this show, Marcos, who was the one who bled the gusher on the last show, he's the only one that does not bleed in this match. And Dunn, maybe a top five blade job in Ring of Honor. Like, not top three, but insane amount of blood from Dunn. Um he takes a couple horrifying bumps like this big back body drop over the top rope through a table on the floor. And he does takes this gourd buster onto a garbage can that looks really painful. And he does what's basically like the Wilhelm scream for movie fans out there, like that scream that gets used in a million movies. Dunn does a couple screams in this match in pain that sound strangely like very much like the Wilhelm scream. So overall – if you didn't like the last match, you won't like this one because I don't think it's as good. But I do think if you just want some carnage and a few memorable spots and a bunch of blood, it does add variety to the show. And I did enjoy it enough for that in that context. Yeah, I mean, I I actually thought this match was clearly better than last the last one. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think the last match was good. Like, I thought it was it was like um, you know there were some good bumps, but it was I don't know. It felt a little bit like. I don't know, too much like torture of, of a team, like, you know, in a, in a way that you didn't want to see. Whereas this was a match, like it was a brawl. Yeah. And like, that's, you know, that's better. Um, uh, that said, I probably, even though I like that match less than, than you in this match, this match I liked equal to you. So, um, so we liked it equally, but you just happened to like the other match more, but. We met in the middle on this one. Yeah. That's I, went, I, I went down, you went up, and we, we're, we're in the same place now. Nice, cozy. That's right. You know, I, it was, you know, I, you know, the fact that it was triple juice instead of just the carnage, I mean, the, uh, Dunn and Marcos getting brutalized, but there was still plenty of, plenty of brutality here from the carnage crew. Um, you know, once again, uh, DeVito was pouring Jack Daniels into the cut of, uh, Dunn. So let me ask you, do you think that was real alcohol that they were drinking? I was going to ask you because wouldn't you think on Ring of Honor payoffs, it'd be way too expensive to have a new bottle of Jack Daniels every night? Like, if that was me, I'm buying one bottle for one show and then I'm just filling it with apple juice or something. But then I would then I would worry, what if the crowd smells apple juice in the front row? And yeah. So I don't, I don't want someone to call me out, Matt. But yeah, as a, as, as someone as someone who as a complete non-drinker, like I have no idea what it costs, so that didn't even occur to me. Um, what it did occur to me is like, oh, maybe I wouldn't want to wrestle somebody who's drinking hard liquor. Um, because no, like definitely that too. Yeah, like um, that you know, but that, that you know, it's in, it's the Indies. I don't know if that means anything. Also, getting poured in the cut. Yeah, I mean, I probably wouldn't want alcohol poured in the cut, but at least it would be uh, disinfecting. Whereas um, apple juice probably would feel weird into being poured into my cut. I don't know. That probably wouldn't be yeah. good. Um, that, that seems like a recipe for disaster for some reason. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know, but um, it was it was fun because during you know as they drank on the way to the ring. Um, Someone in the crowd called DeVito a fat motherfucker, and he just responds, "I am a fat motherfucker. You got it. You're goddamn right. That's 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 <laughs> what he says." Um, but the other thing, oh, also, um, d- uh, the Carnage crew hit two. Did you notice they hit two contrash can cos on Dunn and Marcos? <laughs> they didn't call them that, but but we know that's their canonical name or canonical name. Um, <laughs> But um, okay, that's two moments your dad will like in the car if he has to listen to this podcast. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what? Maybe he's going to be a fan. Maybe you, maybe you, the regular listener, will end the show not wanting to be a fan, and your dad will take your spot. That's right, um, because of the jokes. Um, exactly. But um, I, I, one thing I will say is, and I understand why they did it. It makes sense. But it didn't help the match that CM Punk spent so much of it just cutting a promo about why he's leaving and his match tonight. Because, you know, Punk was on commentary here. And again, it makes sense. I'm not saying they shouldn't have done it, but it wasn't good for this particular match's uh, quality. It was kind of distracting. It almost felt like WCW, where there's this really intense brawl going on, and the announcers are sort of just like yucking it up about something else. Um, again, Punk's angle is more important. I get it. But... You know, just saying, if I'm just like looking at this as a match itself, a violent match, the commentary didn't really match it. I will say this. you Last week you said that um, – or the last show you said that it might be the only Gregory Hines reference on wrestling commentary. Oh, I know what's coming. <laughs> yeah, Punk might have made the only Parker Lewis can't lose reference on wrestling commentary. And if it wasn't the only one – it, the only reason it's possible that it wasn't is because maybe Punk used this line on like an IWA show or something. But he says, tonight I'm Parker Lewis. I can't lose. If you children don't know what that show is, look it up. Um, but um, but yeah, I, I, the other thing is that I was going to ask, um, do you think Punk was trying to foreshadow being a heel or just being himself at the end of the match when he said, after the Carnage Crew won, he said, the R-C-E-S-U-C-K? Um, I don't think so because I think Punk was just being snarky because like going to like some of the things he says about Jay Chung and uh, Alice in Danger later. Like I think you you saw some of the more snarky, maybe real asshole elements of Punk on this night on commentary. He felt kind of loose in that Punk way. Like, yes. and I'm really glad you mentioned because in the notes I even wrote my notes. I wrote I ref I wrote both the things you said, so we're sympathetical because I wrote my notes. Punk, one show after Gregory Hines, breaks out a Parker Lewis can't lose reference. And then I wrote, I felt bad for these guys because this was one of those matches where Punk basically cuts a promo about his current storyline and the match is largely ignored, which felt particularly egregious here in a match where they're bleeding their brains out. And I feel like that's something Punk did early on when he was a heel doing commentary Marie Bonner, and he kind of toned that down. But yeah, because maybe this match night is so big, he, yeah, this was probably the worst example in a long time of him just basically spending almost the entire match not talking about the match. And again, I felt bad because these guys were really paying a physical price, particularly Dunn and Marcos. And to not ha- to have that completely ignored, I, I-, I felt bad for them. Yes, same. Um. So yeah. Anyway, after the match, Jack Daniels gets poured on cuts. DeVito chucks a garbage can at a Ring of Honor staffer trying to help Dunham Marcos, and it looks like he really hurts that guy too. Maybe not legit hurts, but it didn't look. And there were some ba- painful looking trash can shots. And at this point, Matt on the DVD, we see just the finish of Lacey versus Cindy Rogers, which I thought was really weird because this is a double yeah. DVD set, and they had more than enough time for it. This match, I guess, technically on the live show happened before the Carnage Crew match, but here we only see the finish. So does that mean that they were just being disrespectful to the women, or this, this match was just really bad? <laughs> I think listening to the Honorable Mention podcast, they were referencing their memory was it was bad. Shane Hagedorn's was. He was there at the show. But, I mean, you would have to assume that because otherwise, on a double DVD set – where it seems like they're going every effort to stretch this out as long as possible. Why would you not include a match that probably wasn't that long to begin with? Right. Uh, yeah, it makes no sense. But 
Unless it was really that bad, which again, even that is a little weird because Lacey was a pretty good, a fairly good wrestler at this point. And Cindy Rogers in her one ring of honor appearance, I thought we both said, at least in that one show, she looked, I think it was like a four way or something. She looked pretty decent too, I thought. Yes. Although to be fair, they literally on a few shows after this cut out a match between Kevin Steen and El Generico because it was too <laughs> bad. So like, you know, I mean, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So now we cut to a very special promo, maybe special in quotes. Um, we cut to Lacey backstage. She's just the, she's the top businesswoman in wrestling, and she's here for one reason, to make lots and lots of money. She says it's the easiest thing she's ever done because it's a male-dominated business, and all men are scumbags. We then cut to Lacey outside the Ring of Honor offices. She's about to show us a day in the life of Lacey, she says. But as she's about to enter the office, someone in a van pulls, pulls up, I believe, his Ring of Honor student, Smash Bradley. He honks his horn and hits on her by saying, hey, tasty. And Lacey just screams at him. We cut back to the backstage promo. Trevor, he's stealing he- your lines. <laughs> I only say, hey, tasty about food. Don't, well, don't. Right. You, you pull up alongside of a can of soda that somebody left on the side of the road and you're like, hey, tasty. I see a, I see a subway rat cling to a half a scrap of pizza. I'm like, hey, tasty, you know what's good. And I give the rat rat a little wink and I move on. Exactly. But, um, so – we cut back to the backstage promo where uh, Lacey tells us that all men suck from the old dirt grandpa, dirty perverts to the businessmen old enough to be her father to the teenage geeks. We then jump again back to the Ring of Honor office. Lacey's inside now. She's uh, shaking hands with Ring of Honor office worker Sid. She has they've completed some unknown deal. He gives a big thumbs up in the background afterwards. Lacey catches him and starts getting really mad at him for the thumbs up for some reason, screaming at him, calling him a disgusting pervert. We then cut again to Lacey backstage at the show. She says she manipulated Izzy to get into Special K and break them up. She pretended to be his girlfriend. So this is the first time she, we're te- she's telling us actually she was never really his girlfriend. She says she owns Izzy's name, his career, his life. She says she exploits well, men. How, how valuable. <laughs> Izzy burn. No, uh, no she, I just she, mean like in terms of his position on the card, not his level of talent. <laughs> She says she exploits men through their weaknesses, lust being the main one. We cut again to Lacey lifting weights at the Ring of Honor Wrestling School. She says she keeps her body in top shape. She can beat any woman in the ring. And if she doesn't keep her body up, she'd have nothing to in- manipulate men with. A bunch of Ring of Honor students start hitting on her at this, at this point from the, ra- from the training ring. Shane Hagedorn says she looks good. Lacey calls him a disgusting pig. Lacey wants to wrestle Shane right now. She slaps Shane hard in the face. We get a slow-mo instant replay of the slap. This is really the the first time we get to see Shane Hagedorn be like a character. And it's it's a lot of fun. (laughs) Because but but you know, obviously like you know, they play up the sexism a lot, but like I'm just trying to pay you a compliment, baby. But like that smirk and stuff, like it'll be fun to see more of more of Shane on these shows. And is it the first time – because I think it's Shane with basically the second Ring of Honor class. Is this the first time we see Pele, Pele Primo too, I think, in the psychist? Yeah. I think we've yeah. seen like Bobby Dempsey before like kind of yeah. working as ringside. Yeah. For, and, 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 as De- a, and Derek was beaten up by Shane Douglas on the previous show, Derek Dempsey. Yeah, so – Yeah, so, so but I think it is the first time – I think it is the first time we see Pele. Yeah, it, so definitely a little interesting tidbit there. Um or I guess a little bit of trivia, very probably only to the most hardcore fans. Yes. Like, What's the first on-screen appearance of Pele Primo? Yes. But and I do yeah, want to make clear, I, if, is, I do want to make clear if Izzy or any of his friends are listening. 
just listen to any of our previous shows, you will know that I have much respect for Izzy as a wrestler. I knew you would get paranoid about. Yes, clearly, you know, Izzy is a perfectly good uh, indie crazy bumping. Oh, he was he was a re- he was a really good high flyer uh, yeah. in terms of that style. But um, but yes, if you're talking about like as a character in a, from a character perspective, I own Izzy's likeness and stuff. It's like <laughs> <laughs> you know, like that's that that was not positioned as something particularly valuable. So at this point, uh, Shane and Lacey, they get in the ring. Lacey takes Shane down, applies a headlock. Shane reverses it and gets the advantage, and he stomps her down. Uh, we cut to an extreme close-up of Lacey backstage saying, all men are dirt. And then we cut back to the match where Lacey makes a comeback. She ends up tapping Hagedorn out with a Fujiwara armbar. We go back backstage one more time. Lacey says manipulation is her game, and men make it so easy for her. Lacey's Angels will be the top at the top of Ring of Honor. So Matt, I thought this was crazy because this was probably like the most production Ring of Honor's ever put into a backstage promo, and it was for this promo. Like, like you know, it's constantly jumping back and forth between three different locations. It's got wrestling. You know, even that moment where they cut just to have Lacey say one line in the middle of her little mini match. Like, and unfortunately, like, Lacey has charisma, but her character is so one note, and she's still not a great promo. And it's just, it's not good. And it's sad that, that, that finally, Ring of Honor, like, they really tried to make something unique for Ring of Honor in terms of backstage promos. And it's this, you know? Yeah, I, I actually, I think I appreciate it a little bit more than you, um, in the sense of, like, I really appreciate that they tried this. You know, like, this is, like, this is a good thing for wrestling companies to do with, like, new characters. And clearly at this moment uh, that they were making this, they were like, we're going to do big things with Lacey. I wouldn't say they really ever got her to the level that they seemed to want to get her to at this point. Um, You know, she had a decent run there and did some good stuff and was involved in some good angles. But, like, I think it seems like they had bigger plans for her than actually came to fruition based on this. Um, and you know, it felt to me like this is like a, like a, almost like a test run. Like we're you know, if this if this goes well, you know, we'll do this with more wrestlers because you know, doing vignettes to get characters over that's like a great thing in wrestling. You know, that's classic old school like like um, you know, world class or like or Memphis wrestling stuff, right? Like that's kind of yeah. what this was. And um, yes, you're right. L- Lacey was you know had charisma, but was not a good promo and not. Yet, you know, she was okay, you know, but she wasn't good, right? With, yeah. At this point, as a promo, um, you know, again, young, get you, you get better, mm-hmm. um, and um, you know, as and in terms of like the character, I mean, yes, it's one note. It is sexist, right? It's just it's another example of like, oh, evil, manipulative woman preying on our lust, as as that we all <laughs> that we all clearly have all the time as men, right? Isn't that like kind of the yeah. concept? You know, it's just just such a. 90s 2000s wrestling male kind of thing um i thought shane hagedorn in in his role did well um that slap really was unbelievable um you know that's like not quite uh homicide in steve carino but uh you know much closer up and in a echoey room it was pretty pretty freaking loud um and um yeah i don't know I, i so 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 i didn't think it was like particularly good but I appreciated it in theory, and I think, you know, might not have been a bad idea for them to have done more of this, which I don't think they really did. No, I appreciated the effort, too, because this felt more like a, like almost like a WWF throwback where, you know, usually in Ring of Honor, it's just quick backstage promos, occasionally an in-ring promo, occasionally maybe like a little video package. So to actually have something that felt more like 
a character piece where, you know, the production jumps around. It tries to actually like kind of tell a story within itself. You like, uh, yeah, I would have loved to have seen them try this more often. With like AJ Styles going around peeling people's caps. <laughs> the one thing I will say about this, Matt, did you notice this or did you feel the same way? The thing I thought was weird about Lacey's character, especially in like things like this, was yeah, clearly she's supposed to be a heel. We're supposed to hit her, like you said, as she's just a yet another shrill heel woman in Ring of Honor who's talking down to us, us horn dog men, Matt. But like in the way you watch, I don't even know what sixty nine means. So, <laughs> but the way you um, like you watch this 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 little promo production here, I mean, some of the guys are kind of just being like lecture, like like like. All right, so the part where she's in the office with Sid, and all he does is throw a thumbs up, and she bites his head off. That definitely feels heel. Like that's a way overreaction. He's not doing anything to her. But the other two, like a guy just hitting, pulling up on the street and saying, "Hey, tasty," or the or Shane Hagedorn being like, "Hey, baby," is and like just turning his sleaze dial to eleven. Like those are things where I f- would feel sympathetic to her. Like, yeah, what woman wants to just be like so brazenly hit on in such a gross, <laughs> like unsubtle manner by guys you don't barely or don't know at all like like to me like those weren't ones where i was like yeah she should have gone out with shane Hagedorn. what a bitch like i'm like <laughs> oh, i feel sorry for her in that moment she's yeah. supposed to be a heel yeah i mean i i don't know yeah it was it was kind of a mixed signal because i don't think they were really supposed to like i don't think we were really supposed to be on shane's side in that segment exactly but then but, on the other yes. segments, i feel like we are supposed to yes you know? yes like so yes you're right so that yeah, that's a little bit of a mixed signal like i said it wasn't perfectly done it was more just like a uh, points for effort you know, you, yeah. all, you all gave it a good try, and it's a good idea. Agreed. And uh, we move on to the Ring of Honor pure title match. Samoa Joe defeated Colt Cabana via submission in 14 minutes, 5 seconds. We made him tap out to a cross-arm breaker. Matt, a, uh, I believe this is the second Colt Cabana-Samoa Joe match, at least in the last couple of years of Ring of Honor. What did you think about it? So this is another match where, again, they were not going for a great match, Right. Um, there yeah. was not it was not main event style, um, but I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was very entertaining. I thought Colt was on his game for what he was trying to do. Um, you know, Colt was Colt was not like you know serious Colt, which he can be sometimes in like big time matches. He was still like fun loving Colt, and you know. But what they they did was. They played it like Colt was trying to get Joe angry with his little games, and it was kind of working at the beginning. You know, like right off the bat, um, Colt grabs Joe's hand, like so. You know, um, right. So for the hand, for the handshake, you know, uh, Colt reaches out his hand. Joe takes it, but then Colt immediately, instead of doing it cleanly, puts him in a wrist lock, pulls him to the ropes, and Joe grabs the rope. And Sinclair immediately penalizes a rope break, and Joe's really mad. And then he like grabs Sinclair, so. So Sinclair penalizes penalizes him a closed fist warning um, because Joe pushed Sinclair. So it was like Joe's like at a disadvantage immediately, and that so pulls plays into Cabana's character because he's a goofball, but also just like kind of a you know kind of a a little scamp, you know. And so <laughs> he got he got Joe flustered, and he you know continues his advantage for a little while. Um, he's um, and Joe's so frustrated at one point that he actually takes a timeout on the floor, um, and, and and then at one point uh, Cabana stands headstands out of a head scissors, and Joe's even more pissed. And 
uh, Cabana trips Joe and walks right over him. So Joe just punches Cabana in the face, basically just like, yeah, fine. I'm going to get the second rope break taken away. I don't care. I just want to punch you in the face right now, which, you know, that's like, that's good playoff on the, uh, on the, on the rules of this match. Like just that, like they get that as a character moment. Not every, not every pair of wrestlers would think to do something like that. I thought it was really clever. I really liked it. Um, you know, at, at that point, um, you know, Cabana tries to slap Joe in the face repeatedly, but starts going real slow because Joe is just staring at him. So, <laughs> so Cabana tries to take down, and Joe gets a hard arm bar, and Cabana just quickly uses the rope break, and then Joe gets to take over at that point, working on Cabana's arm. Um, and you know, he works on the arm for a while, and he's actually punching it with clo- what to me looked to me like closed fists, but Joe isn't DQ'd. So, is it just that like? Closed fist to the face are illegal. Is that? Is I that- believe commentary tried to say that if it's not in the head or the face or whatever, that closed fists are okay. Which I don't know if that's something they're just making up on the spot to try and justify that, or if that's always been a rule. But yeah, I definitely noticed that too. Yeah, it was, it was in, but anyway, I mean, not that big of a deal. Cabana gets out of an armbar at one point by like striking Joe in the head by clapping his legs together, which I thought was. Interesting. Cabana did a lot of interesting stuff in this match. Um, at one point, uh, Joe goes for the Tope Suicida, but Cabana does his sunset flip reversal, which was the thing that he beat Joe with at Survival of the Fittest, which was like a really big deal at the time because it was like one of Joe's first pinfall losses. And Joe kicks out, and Cabana goes right into the STF and gets Joe to use his final rope break. So he really did have Joe on the ropes, literally. Um, but... Um, <laughs> Like, Joe hits a powerbomb, but it's, like, kind of weak. So Cabana can crawl out of a pin attempt and hit his springboard moonsault and, you know, get some other two counts. Um, and, you know, he even goes for a, fr- a Frankensteiner, but Joe hits a, a powerbomb out of it and turns it into the, a cross face. And Cabana uses his second rope break for that. Um, Cabana, um, you know, hits a really good – well, it's – I guess you could decide if you think it's really good. It's it's an interesting missile dropkick. I liked it because it's basically like he's almost like standing upright when he hits it on Joe. Um, then he tries to do one of his wacky British reversals off the ropes, but Joe just stops him with a big leaping insiguri. Goes for another mus- muscle buster. Cabana fights out and does another crawl out of a roll-up attempt, but Joe turns that into a power slam and turns it right into a cross arm breaker. And Cabana taps out. And, like, I thought this was a good forgotten little match. Like, even the finish, um, you know, the work of the match played into it, right? He was working on the arm the whole match. Cabana was, again, trying to be clever. Joe got the better of him. And it was another deal where Joe got a a win with a move he doesn't usually get a win with, which I always like. I think that works really well for Joe. So I give this match a big thumbs up, even though it was not trying to be a great match. I I agree. I, I'm almost relieved. I'm not that we always have to agree on everything, but I saw so many reviews after I wrote my review and my notes for this match that were people that didn't really like this match. I thought it was a huge disappointment, and I actually thought this was very good. Like, if I had to give it like a rating, I'd give it probably three and three quarter stars. And I, I completely agree with you. I can see why people would be disappointed because. It's not a match where they're going to have a main event style match, like you said. They're not going for a ton of near falls, and there's some cool spots that you did a great job of laying out, but it's not a match that's they're doing every big thing they can think of or anything like that. But I think I I appreciate maybe you appreciate this more because as people that watch every Ring of Honor show, I think if you watch every match 
from a promotion, you appreciate when things are just different. And I feel like this match was just different than most of the matches you would see. And it really plays into their characters, like you said, with Colt being, you know, both guys are just playing their already existing characters. And the fun is just how those characters play off each other, where Colt is kind of this this goof who also sometimes there's more to his goofiness than you might imagine. He, he's good at getting people off their game. And Joe's like, the badass top star who, when someone can get him kind of rattled, he, he does get pissed off and will bail to the floor and be angry. And I, and I thought it was a, another match where so many of these uh, pure title matches I complain because I think the rules don't add to them. But this is the second straight show where I felt like the pure title rules added to the match because I did like the part you talked about where Colt grabs the handshake and immediately gets him to use up the rope break and Joe blowing out the rope break with a punch because he's so mad. And, um, I, I, I even liked, I, I liked all the parts about this match that were unique. Like I liked that Joe picked a body part to work on, which is not something Joe always does. And he does the arm. And even when he works over Colt's arm, he does it in a unique Joe type way where he's like headbutting Colt's arm a lot. And he does the big boot to the arm and he does a divorce court, which I don't know if I've ever seen Joe do that before. And just cool stuff like that, where if you watch this with no context, you might go, Oh, this is just a decent match, but there's so many neat, Neat little things like that touches both these guys do that you don't see from them usually. And I, I really liked all of that stuff. And I also just like Colt going for the ropes because I love that these guys had that match, Survival of the Fittest 2004, where Colt gets the pin on Joe in a non-title match with the roll, the Sunset Flipper whatever and um i love that like these guys will wrestle each other like once or twice a year and even though they're not feuding like that will always be something they can play off of like for the rest of time now i i love spots like that where like guys aren't feuding but it's just like whenever they encounter each other again they have this shared history and there's like a little spot or something that they'll just always be able to play off for like the rest of their lives and i think that's so cool i love them doing that yeah, it's and like the, I, the next time Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels wrestle, Shawn should get <laughs> Bret in the sharpshooter. <laughs> just, it's just this little thing, you know, people don't think of it much, but it's just that little bit of history. <laughs> and yeah, like the other, there's so many little touches. Like I liked, like you said, like Colt clapping Joe's ears with his legs multiple times. And that, I, I love that vertical, uh, that missile drop kick. And like you said, I wrote my notes, I called it Colt's almost vertical missile drop kick. Cause it really is like, it's not as double stomp, but he almost doesn't get horizontal at all. He's almost up and down. Like it, it's a really crazy missile drop kick. And I actually really liked it, but like you said, I could I could see how someone might not like it. I even thought uh, Colt selling was good here. I liked that um, at one point, um, Colt did a like a Joe style turning a roll up into an STF, but he couldn't use his injured arm, so he's like clasping his arm higher, trying to maintain a grip with it, but he can't really like all that stuff. So again, not not like a match that will sell DVDs. And I can see if you're coming into this match just dropping in isolated. Maybe not being being underwhelmed, but I thought this was a very good match as a person that's like watching everything yeah. from Ring of Honor. Yeah, consider con- consider me whelmed by this match. Um, there's one thing that I noticed on commentary that was definitely foreshadowing of the heel turn, and that was Punk scoffing at Cabana, wanting him to be on his quote little talk show. Yeah, you know that was 100 percent like, oh, this is you know, if you know the ending, you know that Punk was. Was, was trying to plant those seeds there. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
After the match, Nigel McGuinness appears at the entranceway to clap and laugh at Colt lost to Joe. Uh, he shakes Joe's hand as Joe leaves. A pissed Colt motions for uh, Nigel to step in the ring with him. Nigel won't do it. So this new, I, I, I'm never a great fan of this kind of story, like this part of the storyline of like both guys make fun of the other guy for losing cleanly to a better wrestler. Like, but I guess it is a more of an undercard feud. But now we have it where, you know, Colt thought it was funny that Nigel last lost to Joe. And now Nigel thinks it's funny that Colt lost to Joe. But um, we cut to James Gibson backstage. He says, he says homicide made a big mistake and has added fuel to his fire. He's made this personal by kicking him in the balls. He helps Mr. 187 can down 911 because he's going after him in their four way match tonight. Gibson, he says he has to have a belt in Ring of Honor. So his quest continues. Yeah. So it's a good promo. Oh, there is one other thing that I forgot to mention in the Nigel oh, go on. segment. Um, I, which is, um, when Nigel was out there, somebody yelled out in this like big New York accent to him. Go scrub my floor with that fucking hair. <laughs> Which I just thought was really cute. Because, <laughs> you know, Nigel has the spiky hair. <laughs> I did not hear that. I am so glad you caught that. Unless it's like the voice in my head. But I think that's what I think someone said that. <laughs> if we had a soundboard, you in that accent saying go scrub that floor with your fucking hair floor. would be one of the. Oh, that's so good. But um, next we get a Jay Lethal promo. He says in Manhattan we saw a new side of Jay Lethal, and he won't rest until he pins Loki's shoulders to the mat. Matt, do you think all these Jay Lethal promos are short because they know he's not a good promo guy yet, or just because Jay doesn't have much to say? Because they're all very short, like just a few lines. Oh, it's definitely because they know he's not a good promo guy yet. But uh, you know, it's nice of them to give him that you know that time to get a more and more confidence. It clearly works eventually. Yeah, and exactly. A guy won't get better unless he does it over and over again. So, And they wanted to push him. And I think, you know, in wrestling today, a lot of the indies, you know, guys don't get promos at all. And they just rise up the car by the quality of their, quality of their matches. But, like, this was a different era in indie wrestling. In the era, I this part of, the, of it I liked better where if you were rising up the car, you actually had to kind of cut a promo and be in angles and, and have at least hopefully a little bit of talent in that area. And it couldn't just be in the ring at this point. Yeah. Maybe it's just me, but for me, I like wrestling to have characters and storylines as exactly. well as matches. <laughs> <laughs> um, so at this point we, we go back to the building. Prince Nana comes up with the outcast killers, Jade Chung, killer cruel, Nana gets on the mic and he tells us he's cleared out, cleaned out many, many of his bank accounts all over the world for tonight. He's cut the budget of a few of the people working here with him tonight. He says he knows how to communicate with the hillbillies in promotions like WWE and TNA. He actually references both of them by name. He says the guy he's bringing in will be a shock to the wrestling world. And then Christopher Daniels' theme, Disposable Teens by uh, Marilyn Manson, interrupts. And out comes Allison Danger with Daniel's old onk necklace on around her neck. She leans into a camera and she says, it's good to be home, baby. At this point, she enters the ring. She shakes Nana's hand. And then Gary Michael Capetta follows close behind the scoop master. When a scoop happens, er Gary's ears just perk up. Uh, he also Gary's he also works at an ice cream shop, so that's also <laughs> part of why he got that name. Well, he always gives you a little bit too much of ice cream. He, that's he's the guy to always go for. You know, wait for him if, yeah. it's, if there's if there's more than one person working. Wait for Gary. Man, Father's <laughs> Day is really running through my veins right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Gary says Allison is looking very well, but he thought she was gone from Ring of Honor forever. Danger says the queen has returned to reign with her king, but not tonight. She's going to make sure Daniels gets footage from tonight to prepare for his return, but it, but his return will not be tonight, and it will not be July 16th as previously announced, but July 8th in Long Island. Allison says the prophecy is back stronger than ever. She tells Nana that she's been watching the embassy and they're doing a fantastic job. All she asks is that they destroy AJ Styles once and for all. Danger then leaves the ring and not introduces his mystery opponent for AJ Styles, PD Williams. So before we get to the match, Matt, I wonder if you have any thoughts on the promo. I would just say about the promo, uh, the one thing I really liked about this promo, it was surprisingly subtle quality misdirection from a promotion that is so bad usually at misdirection where I really love that they had Alison Danger say instead of Christopher Daniels returning on July 16th as previously announced, you know, he's going to be on July 8th because that makes you that that seems so specific. It makes you think, well, oh, that's definitely when he's coming back when in actuality he's coming back tonight. And, and, and I think that actually was a very nice little detail there. Yeah, I mean, it was also misdirection in the sense, at least for a second, they wanted you to think that Daniels is going to be the mystery opponent, right? Like, that was... Yeah. But the, the the only thing that I could... The only complaint I have here is Danger was acting like a heel here, and Daniels comes back clearly as a baby face um, yeah. at the end of the show. So there's, you know, that's a little bit, um, you know, that doesn't line up. Um, and in, even incongruent, like AJ Styles, like, they don't really have an issue right now, do they? Like, well, and... Daniels and AJ, um, I think they. I mean, they had they had an ongoing feud in TNA. You know, they had they, yeah. had, they had a lot of matches that year. They did they have that that thirty minute Iron Man match earlier in two thousand five that was really really good. I'm horrible with those kinds. of The answer is yes, Trevor. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, yeah, so that brings us to the match. AJ Styles defeated PD Williams via pinfall in sixteen minutes thirty five seconds after hitting the Styles Clash. So yeah, they had hyped this show up as Nana bringing in a big mystery opponent for uh, AJ Styles, and I heard some people were disappointed by this. I mean, it's a decent, you know, Petey Williams hadn't been in Ring of Honor. He had wrestled, you know, feuded with uh, AJ and TNA already. He's he he was a you know good solid wrestler. I think people's opinions on him vary widely, and he had a. Uh, the Canadian Destroyer, which at this time hadn't been a move that 60-year-olds do in wrestling. This was still at the point where it was like the hottest move in wrestling. Um, as for the match, I thought this was disappointing. I thought this was on the border of above average and good. I would say at most I would give it three stars, and maybe it doesn't even quite get there. Um, I've said this before, but when I revisited uh, early Ring of Honor with you doing the show, Matt – one of my big surprises was I remember being kind of underwhelmed by early AJ Styles and then rewatching year one of Ring of Honor. I was like, no, this guy was awesome in, in year one of Ring of Honor. And I just remembered him being all oh, having a lot of matches where he was like doing cool athletic spots, but really nothing else. And they just didn't grab me. This is the kind of match I, rem- I thought AJ Styles had in 2002, which he didn't have nearly as many, but he has it here where – you know, these two guys, they work hard. They do some, they do big athletic spots. I mean, AJ Styles, uh, he, uh, what was the big spot here? He does something through, was it, was it through a chair or a table? I'm looking through my notes here. Um, which was the which spot? I'm trying to think of, doesn't someone go through a chair on the outside? Yes. Um, yeah. Um, uh, I, I'll find it exactly in my notes, but yes, yeah, yeah, he does. Yeah, yeah. He, does he does do a move through a chair on the outside. Yes, but you know there, there are some big spots in this match, but I just felt like 
it just this match left me strangely cold. There wasn't really much to it but moves, and and those are the kind of matches I always say that age the the quickest because the bar for just cool moves and how fast a wrestling match can be paced keeps going up and up and up. And so I felt like this match kind of aged poorly. And I also felt like this was a match where these guys, for guys that had wrestled each other before. There were some moves that looked a little bit off. There was a couple spots where it looked like they were just kind of, one guy was kind of waiting an extra second or two for the other guy to do something. And yeah, it just didn't, this, this match left me feeling kind of like, as AJ Styles might say, cold chills. And, um, and not in the good way though, just kind of cold, empty chills, Matt. And, uh, but, but, but again, the work, you know, like the moves itself, you know, they, these are two guys that work at a high level of kind of athletic proficiency. Like they do stuff a lot of wrestlers can't do. They they work hard, but there's just something kind of empty about this match. And I also felt, you know, what the match this reminded me of, Matt, <clears throat> which was um, it was like an AJ's Ring of Honor match with Chris Saban, where another match where he came into it as NWA World Champion, another match where he's coming in wrestling a TNA guy, where maybe you would think if this guy does well, you know, th- this is another TNA buddy. That's going to, um, you know, get a job in Ring of Honor. And both times the matches were kind of underwhelming. So, Matt, I've come to one of two conclusions. Either the NWA world title belt was cursed in Ring of Honor or AJ Styles secretly was sabotaging his TNA friends because he didn't want them getting Ring of Honor jobs. One or the other. But uh, what do you think about the match? I pretty much agree with you exactly. Um, the only thing I would say is I don't think it's just that the match didn't age well. Like, I don't think the match came across as being that great or that good at the time either. You know, it just felt like they were doing – a lot of stuff and like it just didn't amount to much you know which you know that happens in matches um and that is what this match was um so what um the move on the chair was um like on the floor pd dropped aj styles basically over his head like almost like in a back suplex kind of thing but like all the way over onto the chair on the floor that was like propped up yeah an open chair yeah it was an open chair that that was the chair move Uh, one memory that came back to me when i watched this match um the first time I watched this match, I pretty vividly remember that I was watching it, um, and my father was in the room, and and my father was like, um, "So who's this guy, Pate Williams?" As he saw his name um, being flashed <laughs> across the uh, the uh, you know this the crawl and it, or the, on the screen on the Chiron, and I was like, "No, Dad, it's Petey," and he was <laughs> like, oh. like, "Yeah, Dad." He goes great on toast, Dad. Yeah, it's Pate Williams. Happy Father's Day. Um, <laughs> this this is definitely the dad show. <laughs> it's like Tim and Eric. Um, yeah. um, think about your dad. What's your dad like? <laughs> I want to meet that dad. Um, but um, yeah, so um, as far as um, good stuff in the match, um, there was one moment where um, Nana gets some cheap shots in on AJ and – um, and Petey Williams yells, hit him, Scott. Like, almost like he thought he was Scott Demore or something. Like, <laughs> like if that was intentional, I, I think that's funny. Um, and, you know, as far as bad stuff, there was a lot of Jay Chung stuff. You know, like Punk, first of all, on commentary saying, Rave is the inventor of gonorrhea. Or is that Jade Chung? I don't know if she invented it, but she sure is spreading it. Which, again, just like, you know, weird slut shaming stuff for no good yeah. reason. Um, there was another spot where he calls her Jade Everybody Chung tonight, which 
I guess that's not so bad. I don't know. If that's just a play on her name, you know, there is a band that has that is called Wang Chung, and they have that song. Yeah. So, I guess you could get you you can you can let them off the hook for that. But um, he uh, he also foreshadows by saying, you know, a little convenient that Daniels comes back the month after I leave. Um, but haha, he does not. He comes back tonight. Um, yeah. But I actually wrote the same thing. Not not you know not exactly what you said about. Um, about 2003 with Saban, but I did write this feels like a 2002 match in that it's two guys who aren't really, or at least haven't been part of the roster. Um, like it just feels like very random. I think that might be even be part of why the match didn't work so well. Um, the embassy was there to get the heat for PD though. So I guess that, that added some sort of, um, you know, connective tissue to what was going on uh, in the, uh, in the, um, in the promotion at the time. Um, but yeah, it was odd because there was some cool stuff, but just it just didn't amount to much. There wasn't a lot of intensity. And also, you know, you know that the guys could do more, right? Like that's yeah, it, that's it, the it, other thing. Like if I – especially if I was Petey Williams, like I would be pretty uh, – both these guys, but I would be disappointed in this match because I think these – yeah, these guys probably have had like multiple matches better than this. I'd have to go back, but I know they had wrestled a bunch of times before like in TNA, like – I'm sure they probably worked out elsewhere on the indies. I'm sure these guys have a better match in them against each other. They, but, I mean, yes, they definitely. I mean, I, I could point to specific ones. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a few other little notes I had in this match. Uh, a couple more punk commentary notes. He was real rough on this one because um he also he, one of his favorite punching bags, Allison Danger, is back, and he said a real. Well, I thought that was a really unfair comment. He said Allison Danger looks like she's on the Logan Devito diet plan, which I was like, she looks good. She. I uh, I did, yeah, I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, not, um, not, not that it would be any, not that there'd be anything wrong if she was, like you know. But yeah, I didn't notice that. But she, no. Yeah, she didn't look like she had gained a bunch of weight. But uh, um, and then also Prince now, of course, being super rough with Jay Chung at ringside, like you mentioned. And then I thought you went over a lot of punks. I think you missed. I thought the worst line where at one point he just goes, "She loves it." Which I thought, yeah, I that's, that. especially for when you're supposed to be a babyface yeah. at this moment, you you know, yeah. Yeah. and that's a really, especially when the rest of the commentary, Gabe and Prezak at this point, were always trying to really treat this as like the most despicable thing. The most chari- the most charitable explanation is that Punk was trying to be a heel here and like foreshadowing. Yeah. That's I'm just I'm not saying that's what happened, but that's the most charitable way you can think of it. And I will say this: there was a huge reaction on the show for AJ's return. I think that we, I should bring that up. Just he was very; the people were very happy to see him back. I thought it was funny he came out and his hood hung so low he had to keep lifting up to see where it was going. Oh, you're going to see and, that a lot. That's what he does. <laughs> I know. I know that's kind of his thing. But this was a show where I was like, this doesn't look cool like you think it does. This looks like you. This looks like your Jimmy Jacobs with a hoodie too big. You know. No, I'm going to say I'm going to say it. AJ Styles, he was a really good wrestler. In no way was he cool. Total dork. Yeah. You know? um, no, but I'm just serious. Like, like, you know, CM Punk, you know, for all we, you know, criticize about what he says, as far as wrestlers in, in the indies and stuff, like, he was cool. You know? Yeah. Um, Samoa Joe was cool in his way. AJ Styles, not cool. Exactly. And uh, I guess the other note was AJ Styles actually came out wearing the NWA heavyweight title because he was actually the world champion TNA at this point. He would lose the title in the King of the Mountain match the next night at Slammiversary. But, you know, again, you know, this is another sign, I guess, of, you know, TNA Ring of Honor relations, you know, maybe thawing where he's not just coming to the show. He's coming to the show wearing the belt, you know, and repping TNA in that sense. And then at one point in commentary, um, uh, Prezak points out 
the, I guess, you know, AJ's the champ. And Punk goes, what's that title? And Prezak tells him, and like, Punk goes, I've never heard of it. So, <laughs> the NWA world title. So, um, <laughs> so, going to the torch, they had a little thing to write about this. They said, uh, the presence of AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, and Pete Williams in TNA is due to the fact that Ring of Honor management now has a much improved working relationship with the new TNA booking committee. You don't Time say. will tell if Oh, go on. What, what no, I, I just said you don't say. They have a better relationship. <laughs> exactly. Uh, time will tell if any other TNA regulars that once worked in Ring of Honor, such as Raven and Abyss, will make their return. Actually, uh, Torch, I don't think Abyss had ever worked in Ring of Honor up to this point. He had been booked but had been pulled because of the fine side scandal no, before well, he could start wasn't he, on, wasn't he on the battle lines or John? Didn't he come, oh, maybe he didn't was. He, didn't oh, he come yeah. out and like just do a bunch of stuff? He, I don't know, remember if he was in a match, but I'm oh, pretty sure he yeah. was there. But either way, Abyss will be coming back. Raven, not so much. Um, so after the match, Nana gets on the mic. He screams at AJ Styles. He said he paid PD Williams almost half a million dollars to come to Ring of Honor. I just wrote my notes. Feels like he could have gotten him for less. Um, Nana says AJ stole the rave clash from Jimmy Rave and teases another surprise. He grabs Jay Chung by the hair, slams her into the ring apron really hard, tells her to go in there, slap AJ Styles. Jade's hesitant to do it, so basically the exact same angle as the Colt Cabana one the show before. But Nana tells her he'll send her back to Vietnam with her 18 brothers and sisters if she doesn't do it. Uh, she re- gets in the ring. She rears back to slap AJ. But then AJ, the baby face, screams at this woman who's in a tough situation against her you know, wishes. He screams at her, you slap at me and I'll peel your cap, you stupid hoe. Nana keeps – and which draws you – know, laughs from the crowd. That's a babyface move for the crowd. Um, Nana keeps yelling at her to slap him. When AJ then turns his attention to confront Nana, at this point, Jay Chung low blows AJ. Jimmy Rafe immediately runs in from the back. He hadn't been out with the rest of the entourage. He runs out like a coward into the ring. He hits AJ with the Rave Clash. Nana then pulls Jay Chung around by the hair and gloats. So this is where I felt like – it really got gross on the night. All of a sudden, including bringing the Vietnam eighteen brothers and sisters thing, like just yeah, and and, and, and what AJ and what AJ said, you know, just like you know, very easy to be like, you know, because you know, even Cabana the week before, like I don't think he showed enough sympathy to Jade Chung. He just sort of like forcibly danced with her, and you know, like they made it, you know, she likes it, quote unquote, like you know that whole thing. But like, yeah. you know, and AJ was just like really mean. It's just like I don't know, and it, it it's much less defensible the more you see it. Yeah, because like the whole idea is like Jade Chung, you're supposed to feel sympathy for her, which is why how there's Nana supposed to get heel heat, and you're supposed to feel sympathy because she's being forced into these horrible situations against her will. And AJ, the babyface, is like saying clearly you should be able to realize that just looking at what's happening. And instead, he's like, "If you slap me, I'm gonna beat the shit out of you." It's like Jesus Christ, you're the fucking babyface here. Like, at, like you said, at least Colt kind of treated it with a bit more understanding. Like just. But anyway, we go backstage for intermission. Gary Michael Capetta is with Whitmer and Jacobs. Jimmy wants to know why BJ always gets to do the cool stuff, like lifting the guy on his shoulders for the Doomsday Rana. And Jimmy wants – Jimmy's like, I want to do that. And he goes, I also want to talk. And so BJ's just like, OK, I'll give you the floor, little buddy. And all Jimmy can think to say is huss. And he's like, oh, it's gotten predictable, hasn't it? And he gives the floor back to BJ. Whitmer then says it's going to be a long time before they lose the tag title. So not much of this promo, but they're, again, they're, it seems like they're leaning back into the comedy again. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know if this really did much for them, but it it, it kind of felt like filler, honestly. Like, it's just like, exactly. a, like a completely pointless promo to have on the show. 
And at this point, we see Colt Cabana getting dressed up in the bleachers. He's doing a good times, great memories from here. He says, uh, first he says his loss was nothing for Nigel McGuinness to laugh, and he doesn't know why he was laughing at him. Colt then introduces CM Punk, who isn't there. Colt guarantees that Punk will be on good times, great memories by the end of the night. At this point, we get uh, Lacey's Angels of Deranged and Izzy defeating Generation Next of Jack Evans and Roderick Strong in 12 minutes, 31 seconds, when Izzy pinned Jack Evans after a double-team flipping crucifix bomb off the top rope. So almost like a T-gimmick off the top, but they're like they're flipping the guy. Uh, Matt, uh, you know, we're big fans of uh, Jack and Roddy here, so it's a big opportunity for Derange and Izzy to get to wrestle them. Uh, what would you think about this? I was disappointed in it. Um you know, it was all action, but kind of a mess, like just sloppy all over the map. Uh, you know, I, I just couldn't say it was good, as even though there were good spots. And as you know, I do enjoy the work of Izzy. Um, but um, <laughs> but um, actually, my favorite parts of the match were like the beginning when when deranged got to be all, you know, deranged. You know, first of all, Evans is shaking hands and slapping hands on the way to the ring. So Generation X are babyfaces. You know, and also given that promo they cut at the beginning of the show, there was really nothing heelish about it. Generation X are babyfaces. They did not have a face turn, but they are babyfaces. So I think we can we can establish that. Even though uh, – we'll talk about Aries in the main event, but they're babyfaces. So first of all, so you have that. Um, so um, Derange, like the stuff that I enjoy, Derange is doing his own version of breakdancing, but he does a headstand. So Jack just jumps on his crotch and leaps off. <laughs> and and I was like, well, I've never seen that spot before to start a match, but that was in fact <laughs> the spot that started a match. Um, you know, Derange is doing his over exaggerated comical selling, you know, and um, and you know takes him to the outside, and Evans responds by breakdancing some more. So Derange runs in and stomps on Jack's crotch to take the advantage, um, which uh, you know I enjoy. But um, so, but that, that's kind of like my favorite part of the match um at one point when jack evans is doing like flips he yells west coast before doing more flips which i was kind of confused by then i realized he was just saying he's from the west coast and that's why he said that like nothing to do with the flips themselves um i was like is he gonna do a west coast pop um but (laughs) um yeah so then that point it's just a bunch of moves um at one point derange spits in roderick strong's direction so i was like oh you're speaking roddy's language there because um, <laughs> that is a that's a roderick strong thing um that's roddy's love language right <laughs> yeah i agree and um but yeah they get the heat on evans for a little while um derange hits his doomsday springboard ace crusher thing which you know off of Izzy's shoulders, which you know I think is a pretty good move. Um, Roger comes in, hits a bunch of backbreakers. Um, Evans has this like really awkward setup, but eventually gets into a reverse Rana underranged, which was pretty good. Um, you know Izzy and Deranged, they do stereo dives on opposite sides of the ring, which was a cool spot. You know there were definitely cool spots here, like a uh, Generation Next hit the hit the uh, old to the Bulldogs. Uh, but Cloudy pulled the ref out of the ring. Um, then Evan goes up top, um, but Izzy cuts him off, and both of the uh, of Lacey's Angels hit a splash mountain into like a double team flip thingy, and they pin yeah. Jack Evans with that. Um, so like there were definitely good spots in the match. I just it just didn't feel like much of anything to me. I don't know. I feel like this was the worst 
Jack Evans, Roderick Strong tag team match I have seen. It wasn't terrible. It wasn't. I wouldn't even say it was necessarily bad, but it just didn't do much for me. I, I think I liked it a little bit more than you, but I was still disappointed because I think of a lot of Jack and Roddy, and I don't think Deranged and Izzy are bad at all, so I expected more from this. I, this would be like maybe like a three-star match, which to me is disappointing. Um, yeah, there, there, there were some good spots, and I also thought it was interesting that Jack Evans did like a lot of this match. He was in he, he took up most of the match maybe because he knew this was going to be his last match here for a while. And, yeah, there was just some things, especially him and Deranged, they didn't look like they had great chemistry. I think I've heard somewhere that uh, Deranged and Jack aren't necessarily get along great, so maybe that played into some of their spots not looking particularly smooth together. Or maybe I was they there, just perhaps- Yeah, I was there live oh, for a singles match between the two of them a couple years later, which did not go very well. <laughs> yeah, I, I, maybe these guys just have bad chemistry or they just – something about their personalities don't fit together. Um, but you went over most of the cool spots. Izzy basically did like a Chuck Taylor awful waffle to Jack Evans pre Chuck Taylor, which I thought looked really good. But yeah, there's this match. There was some cool spots, but it was kind of less than the sum of its parts. And even just as a crazy match with cool spots, you would expect better from these guys. I did think you always get in almost every deranged match, one funny deranged bit. And I did like in this match at one point he's punching Roddy and he stops just to say, I'm strong too. And I thought you cornball, like that would fit on good on this podcast. That's a deranged level. That's a jad level joke from deranged. Hey, my jokes are better like, than that. <laughs> and then, um, of course, I think this was a Prazak line that he would do multiple times. But when deranged, when Jack Evans runs on a, deranges balls during the headstand uh dave prezak says that uh jack ran on his lower nutsack region which you know uh that was a line people always liked when dave prezak would say um yeah so not much else to say oh other than this i want to say this is the first of multiple instances of something like this we'll see tonight when um jack and rye did the ode to the bulldogs and they went for the cover Cloudy, who's one of the guys on the entourage, he just pulls the ref out of the ring. And that's my least favorite ref interest. I don't mind interference in matches, but that's the least imaginative spot where you are literally just pulling the ref out of the ring. Like, at that point, how is the ref not going to disqualify you? Like, if the ref won't disqualify you for that, then there's... They'll, they should never disqualify anybody because it's not like they can pretend like, oh, something got in my eye and I distracted you or whatever. It, it, he literally just grabs the ref by the leg, pulls him out of the ring during a key near fall. Like, and that kind of stuff does bother me a bit. But yeah, and you see that in promotion after promotion where like that that like I've, I don't remember the last time I saw somebody get disqualified for doing that. You know the way I think about stuff like that? Because sometimes when I say stuff like that, people go, oh, you're saying wrestling can't have interference. And what I would say with interference is – I guess people, 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 that- people really say that to you? You, you, once you get up to a few thousand followers on Twitter, people say a lot of stupid things <laughs> to you. But um, I, I, I would say um, – I would say what my feeling about interference is it's sort of like let's tie it into the Father's Day thing again. This is the Father's Day episode, which is like I feel about interference the way a dad, even though I don't have kids, but I was once a kid, Matt, believe it or not, um, might feel about getting like a Father's Day gift from their five-year-old, which is I don't really care what the gift is. I just wanted to see that you put effort into it. Like I – I don't mind interference, but I want to see that you at least put some imagination to it and try to give some like 
plausibility to it, like that you maybe tried to distract the ref or something. Like at least make an effort rather than doing something so obvious right in front of the ref and just like not even trying to hide it. Like I want the wrestling equivalent of a really heartfelt macaroni art picture of my face for Father's Day. I don't want – this was like the equivalent of like your kid giving you a $5 iTunes gift card for Father's Day. Like he put no thought into it, Matt. And it, it, dad dad was not angry. He was just disappointed. All right. Um, now I'm going to get started on that macaroni art. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Um, I'm, I'm your son. <laughs> So uh, we go to the four-corner survival match. Nigel McGuinness defeated Azrael, Homicide, and James Gibson in 20 minutes, 26 seconds, when he pinned Gibson after hitting a really good-looking Tower of London. Um, as always with these, I am on the record with these four ways. Is I like them to be crazy spot this. I feel like when people just try to have regular-paced, regular matches against each other in a four-way setting, I feel like the flow gets broken up a lot because of all the tags in and out and having to work four people into it. I felt like these guys basically tried to have a normal four-way until the final... I mean, a normal wrestling match until the final five minutes, where at that point they did the four-way thing of everyone goes in the... After they spend the whole match respecting tags, everyone comes in the ring for the five final five minutes things pick up everyone's doing spots there's even a dive train in this match but even then while things picked up i didn't think it got that crazy by the standards of a four-way at the same time i would still say this match again was like i don't know another three three and a quarter star match i thought was decently good because i thought the guys were so talented in the match even them doing a match that i thought doesn't play to the strengths of of a four-way there were still some really fun stretches of wrestling. Like in particular, I thought Nigel McGuinness and James Gibson had a really fun, like one segment of technical wrestling against each other where I came away from it going, I want to see these guys have like a good full length singles match because they seem to have really good chemistry together. Um, I like the bit of the story they were doing where, you know, it's just simple heel psychology where, you know, Gibson really wants to get a homicide. Homicide keeps avoiding him. But the one thing I didn't like about that is when homicide finally tagged in when Gibson was hurt, which is a classic heel move where he avoids the face and then he tags him when he finally has him on the ropes. But then immediately as homicide comes in, you think, oh, he's going to get heat on Gibson by taking it to him. Gibson like takes him down and controls him on the mat. So it was kind of like an anti-climax to the little story they were telling. And, but there were some, a couple other things I want to mention quick about this match. Uh, I thought Azrael was disappointing in this match, and he didn't do anything wrong, but I felt like this was one of the most prominent matches Azrael had gotten in Ring of Honor so far. You know, he's going with three really good wrestlers, including two really talented ones, and I, uh, I, I thought that, um, like, he should, I, I thought that you would see, you've seen more from Azrael in pretty much every, like, random Special K undercard tag, and, like there, there, he did a lot of just really basic rudimentary um, offense. He sold a lot, and he didn't really get to show off much of what he can do. I think in cool. I think this is a match where he, they should have just told him let loose, do a bunch of crazy stuff, and try and steal the show from these three guys. And said so, like there was a moment in this match where um, he uh, he. Um, he gets the offense finally after selling for a while against Thomas. I'm thinking, all right, he kind of has the office here. He finally is going to get to show what he can do. And he puts homicide in a chin lock. And that to be kind of summed up what I thought of this match is like, he didn't do a botches or anything. It's just, he didn't really, he, he was kind of like the least, 
noticeable person in a match where this should have been him kind of making a name for himself. But overall, I thought it was a decent match. But um, Matt, I'm going to throw it to you. So I actually agree with you a lot about this match overall in terms of its quality. I think we have a couple of pretty major disagreements about the finer points, and the biggest one for me being um, Azrael. I, um, you know, maybe it was an expectations game, but I actually thought he was one of the two best performers in this match. Um, you know, in terms of just his performance in this match. I, you know, maybe it's because I didn't expect that he was going to go balls to the wall. Like, he was kind of had to do the match that the, the veterans or like the, t- the bigger stars were doing. And also maybe because I know that Azriel's like, push in ROH didn't exactly pan out, so I wasn't expecting much from him. But I thought when he got in there, you know, besides, you know, the chin lock here and there, I thought the match, the pace picked up. I thought there was a really good spot where, like, he took a really good super kick by Nigel when Homicide Monkey flipped him into the ring. I thought that he did a really good moonsault to the outside. You know, I really liked, you know, his his pacing when they were doing the... um the uh, you know the the fast paced stuff near the end of the match, um, you know I, I like that. Um, yeah, I just thought he looked good. The other standout in the match to me, you know, and the best first person in the match to me was Nigel. You know, he got to show a lot of his character. I actually thought Homicide was pretty disappointing in this match, and I thought Gibson looked really good against Nigel, and I didn't think that his stuff with Homicide was very good. It just it just didn't match the the build up to it, like you said. Yeah. Um, so like that was kind of disappointing to me and, you know, it doesn't, again, it doesn't really go anywhere, right? They like, they don't do homicide and Gibson even have a singles match. I'm trying to remember. Uh, I, I can't think of one. Um, I'm not sure I, they don't, they do that. They do that three way with Spanky. I know that. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that was what it was supposed to be a singles match. And then it turns into a, into a three way. I think that's, that's what happens. Um, but yeah, and then they have a you know they have a tag match at a Philadelphia show upcoming. But it doesn't really build to much. Um, so their stuff just didn't work for me. But I thought Nigel looked really good. I I really did enjoy Azriel's stuff in the match. But overall, it was just too long and slow. And I, I felt like the the fast the fast paced you know like near fall segment at the end it wasn't as good as those can be sometimes. It just didn't feel yeah. earned. I don't know how to say it. Like it didn't feel built to. It just felt like okay, now we'll do the near falls after being kind of boring for a while um actually my favorite spot in the match um was um gibson got a neck breaker on homicide and got a two count and while the referee was counting smokes just yells out no <laughs> and the crowd just goes crazy <laughs> and uh, that wasn't a good smokes impression but just imagine him yelling no really loud and like it was very very funny to me um so that that's my favorite thing in the whole match um at, that, at one point, though, I literally wrote, like, there haven't been any tags for a long time now so, because, you know, guys just moving in and out. So it's almost like a slow scramble match. That's sort of how it felt like going down the stretch, like a slow scramble match. Um, the one spot that got people to chant ROH, though, was Azriel's moonsault to the floor, just saying. And, okay. But that, that, that's pretty much all I got for this one. So um, the one thing I think we can – other than quality of the match, one thing I can completely agree with you is I thought Nigel was the star of this. And one thing I, I really came to the conclusion watching this match, it's been building for a while, but it really came to like my conscious thoughts here, was like I, I think Nigel, like he really shines 
in like very average to slightly above average, meaningless four ways and tags because I feel like Nigel is a guy who always is like I would say like nine times out of ten he is the highlight of those matches because he's always like working his ass off and I feel like Nigel always creates a couple moments for himself in matches like this like in this match he had a cool new submission i haven't seen him do where he basically um he elevates asriel so asriel's kind of off his feet but he's basically like kind of sitting on nigel's thighs while nigel is standing like a hanging like more, a hanging hammerlock almost right exactly yeah. and then he falls forwards into a spine buster kind of like that which i thought was cool and even like there's um like a tower of doom type spot where uh um Asriel sunset flip power bombs Gibson while Gibson is superplexing homicide and Nigel could have completely avoid the whole thing but like a complete maniac Nigel who was selling something else like crawls towards them so that homicide will land on him so he can be involved in the bump and like I always feel like hom- like Nigel this era of Nigel McGuinness I mean this whole run of Nigel I feel like he's one of the hard like I I don't know if I've ever seen a, a Ring of Honor match from Nigel so far where I feel like he wasn't giving 100%. And and I feel like a lot of wrestlers on the indies and in Ring of Honor they'll break through with like one great match. And from there they'll have great matches and they'll have off nights, but but usually it's that one big match that elevates you to stardom like it, it, lots of guys can that. You could say for Ring of Honor for example like Paul London had the uh the uh michael shane ladder match or you could say even samoa joe's first match in ring of honor was that that great match with low key and i feel like nigel doesn't have that one like dvd selling showcase match but what he does is he just every sing he's so consistent i think like i'm just really impressed by i feel like he just got to the top differently than a lot of guys where he just got there by working his ass off consistently and never taking a night off yeah, can't argue with any of that. That's for sure. And and a couple other quick little notes. Uh, I just look at you. Your favorite thing was that uh, smokes moment. I like this moment. It's, it's not quite as good now hearing your moment. But one point in the match, Nigel is wrestling Azrael, and it just has one of those quiet moments in a match. And out of nowhere, smokes just randomly says, "I don't know if he's saying to like homicide or a fan or just himself," because it didn't really feel like he was talking to anybody. He goes calling you homicide what kind of shit is that and it was just so quiet in the middle of the match and like i don't homicide wasn't even in the match at that point and you can just hear people in the crowd laugh like he's just smokes was there's some points where smokes annoys me maybe we'll get to some later this is this match was one of those ones where smokes was great i wonder um, i wonder if that will lead to some of the chants that we hear in the next match (laughs) the unfortunate ones oh exactly and um one other thing uh, this is I love crowds from your native New Jersey, New York area, Matt. Because uh, after the other show recently, I don't. Where, but go ahead. I, I know you. I know you have probably rightfully so have some theories about how some of those fans are pretty regressive in some ways. But I did point out to you in the last show, I believe, or one of the recent shows, I think in New York, where some fans booed the Confederate flag or something like. Or no, it was homicide. Grabbed the Confederate flag. Some fans said burn it, and then on this night. One fan tries to start a West Virginia chant and no one else joins them. And I thought that, that that's the Northeast difference. In the South, maybe <laughs> that starts off. But, uh, <laughs> well, you know, West Virginia, you know, there's some good qualities about it. But luckily yeah. there was no Confederate iconography on the show tonight. <laughs> and So, so there's a lot of other problematic stuff, but not that. <laughs> so that brings us to uh, the semi-main event of the show. I just want to say one other thing. Oh, go on. Gibson. 
how many matches has he had where they show him getting applauded after he loses? Because this was another one. It's, like, it's, it's like comical. It's like his thing. Like he loses and then everyone's really like gives him a big round of applause. Yeah, and it looks really bad. Uh, to me, it's almost getting like not good because like the first one was like a real genuine moment. And you can tell he was genuinely touched and maybe wasn't expecting it to get that kind of reaction. And then every other time since then, he's been like Hulk Hogan milking it, you know, like just staying in the ring until they give him something, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, eh, you, you took something real and have now turned into something fake, which I guess in some ways is pro wrestling, but this wasn't it. I don't think this is the right way to do that. But, um, so semi main event. Jay Lethal versus Loki. It went to a rare for Ring of Honor. No contest in 15 minutes, 10 seconds, when Julius Smokes ran in and just brazenly attacked Jay Lethal. Well, Trevor, shouldn't that be a DQ win for Jay Lethal? I would argue yes. But instead, both the referee's announcement and cage match list this as a no contest. Uh, Matt, this is a, you know, another big low key heel performance. Um, another, it's a rematch of a match we both liked quite a bit, uh, the original low-key Jay Lethal match. What'd you think about this one? Uh, first of all, fuck that finish. Uh, oh man, yeah. was it, that was just such a bad, ridiculous finish. Like, just unbelievably bad. Um, but, um, I, uh, as far as the match, uh, it, I, I don't, didn't think it was as, enter- as entertaining as their match from, uh, Midnight Express Reunion. But, I thought it was solid. Um, you know, they definitely like, you know, Loki was going after the neck. Lethal was selling the neck, grabbing it literally after like every single move. And, you know, I appreciated that it started out without a long feeling out period because uh, um, it started before the bell and Lethal got an early advantage with a springboard drop kick on the floor. You know, so many matches in ROH really do that long feeling out period, especially when it's a longer match. And this was like a good solid 15 minutes. So, the fact that they just got right into it, I appreciated that. Um, and, you know, they were just fighting a lot. And then, you know, whenever Loki got in, um, whenever Loki got an advantage, it would slow down a lot. And when Lethal got an advantage, it would pick up. And uh, there was one, <laughs> there's one thing that I thought was kind of funny. Um, Smokes, early in the match, he tosses the bat into the ring for Loki. <laughs> and Keener just grabs it and throws it back outside. And I was just like, it's first of all, a. It seems like Smokes just shouldn't be allowed to have a bat at ringside. That just seems like should be an obvious rule. Like, yeah, you can come to the ring, but you cannot have a bat. And then the other thing is, like, later on in the match, Smokes had the bat again. Like, it seems like if the referee gets a hand of the bat, you definitely shouldn't just give it back to the guy, right? I mean, am I? And, and also, like, what, do you do you have any idea what the point of that was? Because like. The bat doesn't get used. It doesn't distract the ref, really. Like, nothing – like, no. he doesn't do anything behind the ref's back. It was, I not, mean, it was not Chekhov's bat. It was just Smokes just, like, you know, being like, I'm going to interfere because I'm a heel. Like, I think that was – it was a character moment more than anything. I don't think it was – yeah. Um, but, yeah, as far as the match itself, you know, like, you know, Loki did some good double stomps. Um, his double stomp out of the um, – out of the sunset flip was not as good as the one that he gave Austin Aries um, on the sh- on the show before, um, but you know they 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 traded hard chops. Lethal's chops, you know, he gave pretty as good as he got with some of those chops. You know, and Loki has some pretty incredible cha- uh, chops, and the fact that Lethal kept up with him was pretty good. Um, so I enjoyed that aspect. Uh, the thing that I disliked the most about this match was the crowd. Um, for one thing, they were not super hot for the match, but also. Apropos of nothing, 
they start a smokes a homo chat, which again, this was in, in case you didn't remember, this was 2005 uh, ROH crowds. But <laughs> then some guy. So first of all, smokes a homo, which first of all grammatically doesn't even make sense because they would only <laughs> that would only make sense if his last name was Smoke. Um, Right, like apostrophe s. Yes. Um, I love that. That's what, like, like you're like. Not only was it homophobic, but let me tell you the. Gra- I love that you're going to that granularity. Yeah, well, then, then, and yeah, and just like, I, I, you know, obviously, ROH has had homophobic chants, right? Homocide. They, 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 they do a lot, and obviously, some even worse stuff at the Christopher Street Connection. But I don't know if I've ever heard them just blatantly be like chanting, "Blank is a homo." Like, first of all, like first of all, homo, like. It's just such a like a, it's such an embarrassing, ridiculous slur. Like yeah. I, I, um, you know, you know, and I feel feel bad even saying it out loud on Pride Month, but that is what the promo was. I mean, what the what the chant was, and then um, the, and then the other thing, and I'm like, I hate even trying to make light of this because it's just disgusting. Like, I really does. It pisses me off. Like, to even hear it, even even 16 years later, the fear that like people like this, like there were enough people in the crowd to like get that to be loud, um, but. It was very weird also that it was a dueling chant because whenever a bunch of people chanted that, a few guys chanted back, no, he's not, which, <laughs> I don't know, just makes it all the more bizarre to me. Like people were like – just wanted to make sure that they can um, – that they could uh, be clear that no, no, Julie Smokes is not. So like that was very distracting and upsetting uh, in the middle of the match. Uh, there was one thing, though, and I guess this might play into the finish of this match, and this was a key moment in this match, which was the commentary. Early on, Gabe, in some very classic Gabe shade, goes, you know, it seems like Loki has been almost pretty much undefeatable since his first ROH show. Like, I can't even remember his last loss. It might have been against Xavier when he lost the title. And then he pauses for a few seconds, and he's like, it's like Loki just doesn't lose. Like, I think he actually interrupted Dave Prasak to say that last part. Um, and, you know, I guess that might explain the finish. Like, Loki wouldn't even lose by disqualification. So they well, had to call it a no contest. But, like... I can geesh. read you. There's a brief quote in the Observer that just says... Uh, this is clearly G- Dave being told that by Gabe. Dave wrote one line in the Observer. The idea behind this match is building heat over the idea that Loki won't job. So clearly, like, Gabe basically wants to say without breaking kayfabe, like, Loki won't lose to anybody. He refuses to. Like, he, But, that, like, the fact that, like, then make Jay Lethal flip out and lose by DQ, you know? Like... Like the fact that like there's this a clear thing where Loki's second interfered and Loki should have been disqualified, but instead they call it a no contest. That's such like WWE like attitude era like sports entertainment finish bullshit. You know, like it's just it's just such a it was just such a shitty finish. Um, that really took the match down a lot. That and the crowd. As far as the match itself, you know, I thought it was solid. I thought they did some good stuff. I know, again, another thing, they can do a lot better. So it was disappointing on that level, too. I would probably give the match, like, another, like, one of those, like, three-star kind of deals. Which, again, that's fine, but not, you know, not what it could have been. I completely agree. I agree with the rating. I agree, like, that it's not as good as the first one. Um, 
I think low key, you know, heel low key. We've talked about this before. He, I think he made a conscious effort to like do way less of his cool athletic stuff that would get pops. He his, his coolest stuff now is mostly just all his double stomp variations. Like he did a really good one here where like um, lethal's charging at him and he just jumps in the air and does like a vertical leap to like double stomp lethal in the back as he's running towards him. Like stuff like that is really cool. But for the most part, he's much more as the heel, just kind of grinding you like just clobbering you, you know, controlling you, kind of slowing the pace of a match down. And I feel that works for undercard matches, but I feel like when you have Loki in a big spot and you're kind of hoping for like a really like the semi-main event of a major show, you kind of want more of babyface trying to put on the best match on the show Loki. Uh, you know, it, you you expect different things from different spots on the card you know like if jimmy rave on the second match of the show does a very you know like a three-star match but it all makes sense and it's very satisfying you're really happy with that but if low-key does it in the semi-main event which i kind of thought was what he kind of did here it you know you you want a bit more and or maybe a lot more even um and again i have to go back to that finish i thought that finish was terrible because the finish is you know um just to explain it it um the ref is distracted by Smokes at one point. Key grabs Julius Smokes' bat, which has been put in the ring again. He tries to use it. Lethal avoids it. Hits the dragon suplex. He covers. The ref makes the cover, and as he's counting three, Smokes just runs in the ring in full view of the ref and hits Lethal. And then the ref calls the match a no contest and not a DQ, even though, like, all the heat, all the fault is on... Is, is on smokes and key like lethal did nothing wrong here and it makes no sense. And again, just like that other finish, there is no imagination to this finish at all. And I feel like, you know, normally I'm not a fan of dusty finishes, but you could have very easily done a dusty finish in this match. If you had, after the bat was thrown in the ring, just have the bat not fall out of the ring. And then you could have Jay lethal make the cover count the three, but then the ref notices the bat and assumes that, Jay Lethal hit, you know, key with the bat. Then he could call it a no contest, which, again, maybe they did not want to get have Lethal to even get, like, a visual pin on key before this. I don't know. But it just was a really crappy finish, and I think it's the kind of finish that they only probably even did on this show because they knew the main event was going to be so buzzworthy that no one would remember this finish or talk about, which to their credit is true, but still until they tell a couple of assholes decided to do a whole exactly. podcast about it many years later. Yeah. I mean, it's the kind of thing you only notice if you go back and watch the whole show and are just a nerds like us. Yeah. But no one remembers the show as the show with the underwhelming finish in a low key Jay lethal match. They remember it for something else that comes next. But, um, it's also interesting. I thought the crowd was very split between Lethal and Loki, even though Loki was trying really hard to be a heel here. Well, clearly that dueling chant with Julius Smokes proves exactly. It. Yeah, uh, you know, there, 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 there's a limit to you know even Key as full heel how how many people in the crowd he can lose because you know he's done a lot of great stuff in Ring of Honor, and uh, I thought Key did had a couple moments where he was really vicious in cool ways like grabbing jay lethal by his hair and pulling him off his feet just by his hair and slamming him back down or at one point he's literally just standing on jay lethal's face like he was pretty brutal to key and i i feel like lethal he's really great with at, at the fiery babyface comeback and taking a beating which he does here so you think key is perfect for him but the one thing i didn't like was at the start where he was on offense 
he wasn't quite angry enough for my taste. I like, you know, after all Loki's done to him, where they're basically saying like he basically nearly killed him, nearly broke his neck, you know, I want him just to be insanely pissed off and tearing at him. And he wasn't, he wasn't that mad. I, I felt like he could have been more there, but still three star, decent match, a little disappointing, but still good. I mean, not, not better than average, but after the match, the crowd boos, they chant bullshit. Smokes throws the ref out of the ring and he tries to pile drive Jay Lethal, but Lethal blocks it. He goes for the dragon suplex again till Homicide saves him by dragging Smokes out of the ring by his legs. Homicide carries a low key around and the crowd actually goes aw at that. And then once the awe happens, like Key starts walking on his feet again. And I wonder if Key was like, I don't want people to awe me. <laughs> like I'm getting down immediately. Well, well that's what I was gonna say. I was I was I was thinking like Loki won't just like lose a grudge match, but he's allowed, but he allows himself to be like carried around by his friend. Like that seems a little bit off. Like it seems just like, you know, maybe you have the wrong idea about what makes a wrestler get over. I don't know. But anyway, that's just me. Oh, and one more thing I wanted to ask. I didn't think about this until reading that thing from Dave where he said the idea is building heat over the idea that Loki won't job. Do you think that that's the reason they didn't have Loki lose to Austin Aries or that he wouldn't? just lose to Aries because it's certainly if you're trying to build a story around the idea that low key refuses to job building up to the eventually low key actually giving a job to Jay lethal. I guess you could say that if he, if you have him, so he actually even beats the, the world champion that certainly would convince fans probably this guy just will not job to anybody. Um, it's a chicken and egg situation because maybe low key not losing to Aries is what gave him the idea to do that angle. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely weird too when if the idea is to build heat over low key won't do the job it's weird that dave seems definitely to have been told that by gabe as now writing that in the newsletter which seems to like would diffuse some of that heat to be like well the idea is to make you think he won't lose because that kind of tells you well then right. he is probably going to lose somewhere that's a good point so weird all around but anyway finally matt main event time Ring of Honor world title match. CM Punk defeated Austin Aries via pinfall in 30 minutes, 26 seconds after he hit the Pepsi plunge. This CM Punk becomes the new Ring of Honor world champion. Um, I thought this was another match that was different than most Ring of Honor matches, at least at the start. I think by the end it became more similar. But in the first third, it's a much slower, methodical pace. It's kind of Punk doing... You know, a bit of the Samoa Joe match throwback where he is just targeting something specifically. He's doing the headlock and he's really slowing the match and grinding and kind of controlling. And even at some points, almost kind of like eating up and dominating Aries. He even becomes maybe one of the only people in Ring of Honor to ever avoid the old, you know, you you put uh, Aries in the uh, head scissors and then he gets out of it and drop kicks you. Like he punk out, does not get caught by that here. And then... In the last third of the match, it be, and then this, what I like about this match too is it's until the, fi- the final third becomes a much more your move, my move, big stuff match, like a lot of indie matches. But in the first third, Punk kind of controls, and then you get this big sea change where Aries hits the Death Valley driver on the apron, and then Aries is in control for a while. And I like that. I like that, you know, there was big changes where one guy controlled, then the other guy controlled, and they're, um, big reasons why and of course this was also back before moves on the apron were a thing so to see in the middle of the match like punk take a death alley driver on the apron was pretty huge and but the big story of this match to me 
was the crowd. I, I think the crowd boosted this match because about halfway through the match, this crowd decide the crowd was already hot, but about halfway through the match, this crowd decides they are going to cheer their ass off for every moment of punk offense and boo the hell out of every moment of Aries offense the rest of the way. And almost kind of reminded me of Paul London versus Xavier, the, their world title matches, where it was one of the first times in Ring of Honor I felt like a crowd was really desperately wanting to see a result, not just a good match. Where like this crowd really wanted one guy to win one guy to lose and they were cheering every second to let you know that and it's funny too because punk you know even on the last show in his little in-ring promo he always talked about how new jersey was the crowd that hated him more than any other crowd even when he was supposed to be a face this crowd is totally on board for punk they are just as, as into a guy as you can be totally against aries in this match and then so in the final thirds when this match really gets into the high gear of moves and this is where the match kind of gets controversial for some people. And I'm interested to know what you'll, what your thoughts will be on this. Because at this, what happens in this match is they go big in a way, Ring of Honor matches up to this point, especially like the, with these guys, never get big in the sense of Punk gets Pepsi plunged by, well, first off, Aries does the, uh, his, one of his signature finishing kind of moves, the brain buster which usually sets up the finish and he does it off either. I think the top or the second row turnbuckle and punk kicks out. And then, um, Aries hits punk with his own finisher, the Pepsi plunge punk kicks out at one and he doesn't like no cell hook up, but he does like a kind of semi hook up where he immediately jumps up. He's clearly feeling it. He's posing. Aries acts kind of scared punk in this match actually does a couple of the U finger points where the crash league goes you like Hulk Hogan style from the eighties. And then near the end of the match, Aries hits the 450 and punk immediately after he takes the 450 just flips Aries over into the, uh, the Anaconda device and, then, of course, it all ends with Punk hitting the Pepsi Punch for the win. Now, that's the part I feel like some people do not like. I feel like some people feel like you should never no-sell. You should never do a one-sell kickout. And then that stuff is just too cartoonish and too corny. And I've heard some people even don't like the idea that, you know, like, feel that it's kind of burying Aries where he's taking basically everything. Like, Punk is taking everything Aries can dish out, and he's, he's kind of surviving all, not just surviving it all, but kind of half no-selling the 450 and the Pepsi plunge. But to me, I think this is a great match. Like, it's not five stars. I would probably do like four and a quarter, maybe almost four and a half. But I, I, I think this match is great. I think the crowd really boosts it. But I also think all this stuff at the end, the stuff I just described that some people would hate, my feeling on that kind of stuff is that there's a time and a place for it. There are one-count kickouts, no selling. Some people are like, I never want to see it. Some people think it's always awesome. I feel like it, it in the you save it for huge matches. And for Ring of Honor, if there's ever a time to do one-count kickouts and no-selling and trading finishers and all that stuff, it's what everyone thought going into this night was the f farewell match for CM Punk, a world title match where the title changes hands. Like, if you're not allowed to do crazy big spots in this level of match, then you're just not in those fans' eyes, well, then you just are not allowed to ever do them because this is a match that's huge enough. You should be allowed to do that kind of stuff. So, Matt, even though there's more stuff I could say about the match, I've droned on enough. I want to know what you think. And do you think that it, do you think it was overkill, or do you think in a match like this that kind of stuff is okay? Because I feel like for a lot of people that do criticize this match, and 
I think overall most people really like this match, but I do feel like that's the criticism pe- the people that criticize this match have. Well, so this is another one of those matches, you know, and there's some of them, you know, in ROH, uh, not too many, but one of those matches where if you just watch this match, like, as like, here's a great match, watch it, you're going to be like, huh, you know, I don't know, like, that was pretty cool, but I don't know what the fuss is about. If you've been following these characters and are invested in the storyline and are interested in the post-match, this match rises to a much more epic level um, than that. It's sort of like, you know, we talked about with the Joe Punk series, where Joe Punk 2 is the sort of match that I think almost any, like, real serious wrestling fan could watch and be like, oh, this is a great match, like an all-timer. And Joe Punk 3 is more like, you will like it so much more if you have followed yeah. all the other matches and know the characters. Um, so this is more like Joe Punk 3. Um, I think... That when it comes to the finish, I think you left – like what you said is all true, but I think you left a really important element out about why it works here. It's intentionally over the top, no selling. Punk very clearly was like, I'm going to be this ridiculous Hulk Hogan babyface near the end of this match because that will make it that much more gutting when I pull the rug out from under everybody. If that angle – in the post-match doesn't happen. I don't think Punk does a one, uh, a kick out at one. I don't think Punk like no sells a finisher and goes into his own fit. There's, I, I don't think that happens. I think Punk does that. Cause he's like, I'm going to be Superman and then I'm going to turn into the devil. Like it's, it's cartoony, but it's on purpose. And I think that changes the context completely. Um, and I think it's really smart. I think it's a really good way to do the match. Um, and I think it worked very well. Um, as far as the rest of the match, um, you know, there were some other noteworthy things. First of all, I took note that, like you mentioned, like that there was like periods of domination by the wrestlers at the different points. Punk dominated for so long. I think that like Aries went almost like ten full minutes at the beginning without any, without getting like any significant offense. You know, we got a few little like you know comebacks, but no, no, nothing really. And then Aries, you know, did the same thing for like the next you know seven or eight minutes. Um, but, you know, and then the ending was, you know, balls to the wall. Like, yeah, like you said, almost unusual for, for ROH at this point to just have so big move, big move, big move, big move the way that they did it here. Um, there's another thing too. Um, like you said, the crowd got so into punk as their hero. I am pretty sure this is the first match that I ever saw where they, where the crowd did that over the top, boo, yay, boo, you know, obviously wrestling has always had boo and yay, but like that very self-conscious, we're going to yell yay every time Punk does something and we're going to go boo every time Aries does something. Yeah. I think this is like the first instance of that. Um, I can't think of and another match that did that first. Yeah, I was just going to say the crazy thing is, again, a lot of times in modern times when you see that, it's like usually during a strike exchange and then the fans stop. They basically do that for the entire second half of a half-hour match. Yeah. Like they're, everything offense that Punk does, it gets like a big cheer. Everything Aries does gets a big boo. Yeah, definitely. And I, was, I said I was going to mention something about Aries here because like, like I said, Generation Next are faces now. And in this match, obviously Aries was the heel and you know he would jaw with the crowd when they were like – you know, criticizing him, but I did make sure to pay close attention. He did not really wrestle that heelishly. You know, he wrestled like, you know, like kind of like begging off near the end, but like he didn't really do anything dirty. He was honorable at the beginning and the end with the handshakes. So like even here, when he was the ultimate heel, 
he he was not even as much of a heel as he was in matches earlier in the year. So like I think that really solidifies that he was a baby face here. But but yeah, overall I like the match more than you did. I think this is a probably the best match in 2005 so far um in ROH. Um and yeah, I thought it was was really great. You know, again, yeah, I agree not five stars, although if you wanted to say it was five stars when you just throw in everything, I I think that's a perfectly reasonable rating uh, in the in the pantheon of ROH. I would say if I was there live, I think I would have left that night thinking it was five stars. Like the emotion when you combine it with the angle afterwards, like the twists and the turns, the emotion of seeing him win. I think the whole package live, I think is five stars. I think I would have been, I think watching it back, having already seen it before, I'm maybe a bit more picking at things, but still thinking it's a great match. But, um, I don't, there's just so many little other things like this was one of those matches where, you know, guys are breakout things they either never do or hardly ever do. Like, especially Punk. Punk does a fisherman's suplex you usually don't see him do. Um, he, uh, oh, um, Punk counters Aries who does that thing where he jumps from the apron into the ring and does like a spinning elbow strike. And Punk actually counters that. And then he hits a springboard second rope drop kick, which again, you don't usually see Punk do. And then he hits a tope. Um, so just so full. So these are two guys that were just throwing everything. And one thing I want to ask you, you were talking about it too, about the, uh, the big things, the dominance. Do you think you were talking about, I thought that was really interesting. The point you made about punk being, I never thought of it that way, that maybe punk doing all the like Hulk Hogan, no selling by design to really make the heel turn even more impactful. Yeah. I did, think, by the way, for, for that point, I, there was, there was never a doubt in my mind that that's what was going on. Like, I don't, see, I never, that went completely over my head. See, that, that's, that's why I love doing this show with you is because you pick up things like that. I just, my brain is not capable of picking up at first, but usually the things you say, as soon as you say, I'm like, why didn't I see that? Cause you're really good at picking out that kind of stuff. So do you agree with that? I, I, I absolutely do. Although I will say also, like if that was a plan going in, it worked out perfectly in the sense of I don't think you can get away with that kind of stuff unless the crowd is just vocally in love with you. And, definitely, definitely. And, and the, like like when when Punk is doing like the Hogan finger point you, the crowd is shouting you like like that stuff. All that no selling stuff, it goes from looking pathetic to looking awesome. If the crowd is on your side, and so yeah, like, yeah, there's there's there's, there, there's there's no way that in the middle of this match, Punk wasn't just like, oh fuck, we got him, you know, like yeah, like that that's like one of those things that you just dream about having such a ideal reaction. Like there there is a world where if this is the crowd that Punk kind of feared, like the New Jersey crowd that just always hated him. None of that stuff would have worked. And like to your point, I think this is what you were thinking. Punk wouldn't do that stuff if that crowd had been like that. Yes, he he would have changed things up. Yeah, so that's. Very interesting. But anyway, going to – I was going to say, do you think we both agree Punk really ate up Aries in the first 10 minutes? Do you also think that was by design in the sense to try and make fans think, well, if Punk is dominating Aries this much, there's no way he's going to win? Because that first 10 minutes, it's shocking how little Aries gets. I don't think it was – I don't think that was the reason. I think it, it goes toward the, the other point that like Punk is just going to just be so over the top about everything in this match that when he does turn heel, it's just like you motherfucker, like you had us going along with how shitty you were here, and now we realize you were just shitty. You know, I I think that was the uh, I think that was the the plan. I think it was all just designed to get the heel turnover. 
And so I for messed up, Matt. We missed the best part of this entire match. Clearly the best part. The part everyone remembers the best part. Absolutely. This is something I love. At one point, CM Punk applies a nerve hold to Austin Aries. And Aries sells it by going, and I quote, ah, nerve hold. <laughs> and I love when wrestlers sell by saying the name of the move that is currently happening to them. I fucking love that. Are, are, there, are there other examples of that? <laughs> I think there was – wasn't there one we talked about once, like a Davey Richards thing he did once in some wrestling promotion where he was like – like he's getting suplexed, he's like, "Oh no," or something. Like, like he's reacting, like he's helpless. Like, I love, I love the idea. I, I want more wrestlers. If you're a wrestler listening to this, get put in a submission and just say the name of the submission as you're selling. Just be like, "Oh, Boston Crab." Like, <laughs> yeah, or just like if, if you're getting like hit with something, like not the Superman punch. <laughs> I, I love that. That stuff's so good. But um, so after the match. Aries snatches the world title belt away from the ref as the crowd chants, Thank you, Punk. Please don't go, and we will miss you. Aries shakes Punk's hand. The two hug. So, if you, like you were saying before, Matt, you were kind of tracking the evolution of the Generation Next face turn. If you thought Generation Next wasn't faces before, well, you know, we get all this. Aries, even at one point, he hands Punk the title, but he holds onto the strap. So, ooh, a little tension. But that's only so Aries can, like, raise Punk's hand in victory. The crowd chants, thank you, Aries, after booing him the whole night. So they're definitely happy with Aries now. And then as he walks to the back, the crowd chants speech at CM Punk. And though they're about to get a speech. Because Punk, with the title, asks the fans, isn't this the prettiest thing you've ever seen in your entire life? And he holds the title up. Punk says a year ago in Dayton, after the first hour draw with Samoa Joe, he proclaimed this title the most important in North America. But today, in his hands, it becomes the most important title in the whole world. He says the belt in the hands of anyone else is just a belt. But in his hands, it becomes power. Just like how this microphone in the hands of any of the boys in the back is just a microphone. But in in the hands of a dangerous man like himself, it becomes a pipe bomb. These words spoken by anyone anyone but him are just words, but with Punk, they become anthems. Punk then says he wants to tell everyone a story, a parable of sorts. He says an old man once found a snake frozen in ice. He rescued it. He nursed it back to health. And when that snake recovered, it bit the man. And as the old man lay dying, he asked the snake, why? Why? He loved the snake. He saved its knife. And the snake said, you stupid old man. I'm a snake. I love that you acted that out. Yeah. (laughs) You really really read that story. You're hearing me. De- you're hearing me debate in my head as I really like. Do I just say this straight, or do I try? And I did. I went in the middle, Matt. But um, Punk says the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing people he didn't exist. And Punk says he is the devil. All you stupid, mindless people fell for it. You all fell for the same make-believe superhero Ricky the Dragon Steamboat fell for a year ago. Punk says he's not mad at the people, though. He feels sorry for them. He did what he had to do to become champion. He calls himself the greatest pro wrestler walking the earth today. He calls the crowd his puppets, and he says he's played with their emotions because he gets off on it. He hates each and every one of them. He will not stop until he proves he's better than you, better than Loki, better than AJ Styles, better than Samoa Joe. Punk then kind of mocking Joseph the champ is here. Punk says he's taking this belt with him, and there isn't a single person in the locker room that can stop him. The crowd chants for Joe, and as Punk throws the mic down, he leans on the ropes, kind of looking away from the entranceway. All of a sudden, Christopher Daniels runs in through the crowd to a big pop. Uh, Punk eventually realizes something's happening from the big pop. He turns around. He sees Daniels. Punk and Daniels get at each other's face. And although he doesn't have a mic, we can clearly hear Christopher Daniels say that he's waited 16 months for this. 
We get a huge Fallen Angel chant. Punk lays the Ring of Honor world title on the map between the two of them. And the crowd chants Ring the Bell. So clearly the crowd thinks, okay, we're going to get an impromptu match. Daniels is going to win the belt. The two start brawling. Daniels ends up with the advantage. But Punk, but when he goes for the best moonsault ever, Punk rolls out of the ring. The crowd keeps chanting Ring the Bell. Daniels gets on the mic and yells for Punk to get back in the ring, ring the bell, and let them finish what they started 16 months ago. Daniels says he wants to give CM Punk a proper goodbye. Crowd chants, Punk is a bitch, and CM pussy at the guy they were just cheering their asses off for as Punk walks around outside the ring. and Punk grabs the mic. He says – Punk asks Daniels and these robots, which I believe is the first time – robots, for those who don't know, was a derisive term – um, people would call Ring of Honor fans, people that hated Ring of Honor at that time. And I believe this is the first time ever in the history on the on-air product that everyone, anyone ever used the term robots on-air. So Punk goes, Daniels, these robots, do you want a match? It's, it's also, says, by the way, it's like through the years. It's spelled R-O-H, bots. Exactly. So um, Punk asks uh, Daniels, Punk says Daniels can wait 16 more months for a match, kiss my ass, and he proceeds to leave through the crowd. The camera follows him through the crowd, and we see he's actually left the entire building. He's vanished. He's out the front door. Uh, Daniels grabs the mic, and he asks for Punk to come back. He says Punk was right about one thing. That's the most important title in wrestling, and he's not going to let him leave the building with it around his waist. The crowd chants, fuck him up, Daniels, fuck him up. But Punk is not coming back. Eventually, Daniels gives up. He says we, he doesn't know what's going on, but apparently Punk thinks he's Elvis because he's left the building. Daniel says it doesn't look like he's going to be wrestling for the title tonight, but there's something he's been want, waiting to say in a Ring of Honor ring for over a year. He says Punk put him through a table with a Pepsi plunge over a year ago, and that was fine because it was a war and Punk fired the first shot. Daniels bided his time. He was going to return to end the war, but one day in Nashville, he got pulled aside and he got told to make a decision. At this point, we get a big fuck TNA chant. Daniels just pushes through. He says he was told to choose, and no matter what he chose, he was going to lose something he cared about. So he made the decision to walk away from Ring of Honor. But he did what he always did. He busted his ass. Didn't matter if that ring had four sides or six. It didn't matter if the initials on it were TNA, 3PW, IWC, PWG, ABC, XYZ, 123. It didn't matter because he busted his ass ass each and every time and no matter where he was he never forgot how he busted his ass in the ring of honor ring he remembers low key hitting him so hard he lost feeling in his legs he remembers the hour-long world title match he remembers that when he came half a second away from beating samoa joe for the world title he reels off a list of the people he wrestled here and says he kept up with ring of honor he gets the dvds just like us he watched a guy named austin Aries step up to the front of the line he watched Jay Lethal and Jimmy Rave rise. He saw Alex Shelley, James Gibson, and Roderick Strong become the backbone of Ring of Honor. Daniel says now they all have to deal with him because all of those wrestlers and all the fans need to realize he never forgot what his destiny was to be the Ring of Honor champion. Daniel says if he has to beat everyone to get to the title, that's what he'll do. He says when he was gone, it was because he had to be, but now he's back, and he's back because he wants to be. Daniels poses as, he, as the crowd chants welcome back and his music plays. So – Matt, there's a ton to go into there. I'm going to let you go first crack at it. But I, I will say, I want to point out one thing that I think is kind of crazy before I give it to you, Matt. So we know 
the whole this is the thawing of the TNA Ring of Honor relationship. And we know one of the things that all the newsletter guys always said drove Ring, uh, TNA crazy, and one of the reasons they resented Ring of Honor always was that a lot of their top guys, like Christopher Daniels and AJ Styles, would always in interviews talk about how much they loved working Ring of Honor, and they felt like the wrestler they wrestlers would kind of put over Ring of Honor more than TNA, even though TNA was the more prominent promotion in a lot of ways. And I think it's hilarious, Matt. That on the show Christopher Daniels comes back, that everything's thawing out, Christopher Daniels, who was at this moment, people might not remember, was the X-Division champion, says CM Punk's right, the Ring of Honor title is the most important title in wrestling. And I feel like if you were like a TNA office member that hated um, wrestlers, what had wrestlers done in the past, this is like a crazy example of that. But obviously that's not the big story of this promo and this angle. And Matt, I'm sure you have a lot to say. So floor is yours, Matt. Yeah. You know, I you know, I really don't have a lot to say because I think you kinda I think just describing it says it all. Like this is the original pipe bomb promo. Like this is just it just works so well. Like and you know, the like they had the crowd in the palm of their hands. It worked perfectly. Punk's delivery was so I mean, think about this. I mean You've watched probably even more later ROH than I have, but like, was there ever a promo in ROH as good as this one? Uh, in terms of like, you know, like there were some good character promos, like Punk's, um, you know, this is straight edge promo. But in terms of like advancing an angle and doing a lot of things at once, was there ever another promo in ROH that was as good as this one? I don't think so. Although I will say something controversial after you're done, but uh, I'll say this: the only two promos. When people say, think of a Ring of Honor promo, not a match, the only two promos that come to my mind and then everything else I have to kind of strain to think about, it's this promo and it's the one about Raven where he talks about his dad being an alcoholic. That, that's it. To me, those two are like a mile ahead of any other promo in Ring of Honor history for being memorable and considered like legendary. Yes, definitely. And um, the other interesting thing I thought about this promo, the punk promo, is um, – do you notice that his new heel character is way more evil than his previous heel character? Like, you know, he's like, I am the devil, like, you fell for it. But his original hero character, you know, he had like these, he was a maniac. He had like the kind of cult figure, you know, the cult um, leader stuff and the, you know, kind of was an asshole too. But he was always like, you know, Gabe always said he's a man of honor. You know, he 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 wants to follow the code, even though we said like, oh well, not really, but um, that was sort of built into it. You know, he was like, um, you know, anybody who wanted to throw up their exes, he appreciated. Now he's like, I'm the devil. I hate all of you. You all fell for it. You know, uh, you know, I convinced you. I fooled you. Like, you know, all this stuff. He's a much more like Jake the Snake, you know, and thus the the Snake story, like evil character now at least based on this one promo, than he ever was as a heel before. So I thought that was interesting. Um, the Daniels comeback, I think, you know, I mean, the reaction was just, it speaks for itself. Like, the way they did that was so cool and so good. Um, I'd say what happens after Daniels comes out is maybe a slightly less good. You know, I, I you know, I like that they teased that they were going to have a match right then and there, because it makes sense if you think that Punk is actually leaving, right? Like, yeah. they'll do the heel turn and then get the belt off him as quick as possible. And, you know, so, but there was, you know, once Punk ran away and Daniels just sort of like stood there for a while, kind of like a doofus, I thought <laughs> like that went on a little bit too long. And, you know, that might actually be the one fully negative thing I can say. Um, Daniel's promo, like, I guess, you know, 
he's a good promo and like obviously and it's good that he got a chance to say you know to do his comeback promo i I don't know if it felt like timing wise it might have felt weird because it's just like okay roh the roh title's in crisis right now and daniels is just like you know man i miss this place like i I don't know like i i I guess i can't really criticize them for doing it that way but it felt a little bit incongruent with what was going on um also i don't think daniels after that totally like lived up to that in terms of what they did with him and and how he sort of said it but you know in general just an epic segment you know especially coming after that match and a you know got over as well as you could ever hope for and it led to some other really good stuff so i think it's one of the greatest so i i got a bunch of things to say but first i want to ask you something matt because something you said kind of made me think about this there's some people think they shouldn't have done the Daniels thing on the show at all. Like that they should have ended the night with punk leaves with the, with the belt, basically like the money in the bank finish. And I think one interesting thing rewatching this back is we know punk used a lot of the ideas that worked for him in ring of honor in, um, in WWE, but like, you know, here you, not only do you see like the pipe bomb get mentioned, but even, even like, I, I forgot even just like the parallel of him, like walking through the running through the crowd with the title. He just won, like even that is right out of money in the bank, you know. But anyway, do you think it would have been more impactful if you saved the Daniels thing for another show and you just ended with Punk cutting that promo and then leaving with the belt? Um, I'm going to say no. I don't think it would have been more impactful. I think that I really like the way they had Daniels return here. I think it put it took the crowd on more of an emotional roller coaster. I think the crowd just the, – the reaction that Daniels got, which again is part of the fun of wrestling, right, hearing the big reactions – um, wouldn't have been as good if if they had to wait for it. And I did like the the fact that they played on the expectation that Punk was still leaving. And so they gave you one more moment to be like, oh, Daniels is going to beat him right here and now. And then rip it out, rip it away from them. I think all those things enhanced the angle. They didn't detract from it. I, I agree. So I got um, one very uncontroversial line of things to say, and then a one that's Slightly, somewhat controversial, maybe. So first, the uncontroversial thing. I think this is one of the great, if not the greatest, this is one of the greatest um, angles Ring of Honor ever did. In terms of a, one, in terms of a one-night angle, yes. Uh, yeah, uh, it, obviously, if we include like longer stuff like the CZW feud, then yeah, th- but that's almost unfair because that's like you just said, it's we're comparing something that played out over months over a one night thing. But in terms of, of yeah, like a one night thing, this is the best thing they ever did in terms of an angle. I think it's probably one of the best angles in wrestling for this decade, you know, that ha- it happened, you know, more we can expand it past Ring of Honor. Um, one of the things I love about this, so for people that, you know, because I know we have a few people listening that weren't around at the time. So for people that did not live through this, I want to impress upon you, everybody thought this was Punk's last night. Um, I know people that were close to Punk didn't know he was doing that. They thought it was his last night. Um, All the newsletter guys thought this was his last night. Punk talked on his live journal that this was his last night. Certainly if you watch the show live, the crowd thought this was his last night. They had the emotion of people that were saying goodbye to this guy. And – I think one of the amazing things about this angle is they fooled the crowd and it's hard to, and and they, and they fooled one of the smartest groups of wrestling fans. I don't mean smart like IQ. I mean, in the sense that ring of honor fans by their nature were fans. They, they weren't fans that just watched the wrestling show once a week on TV 
and that was their hobby, but then they never thought about it. You know, rest, Ring of Honor fans, they're watching other wrestling. They're talking about on message boards or in the case of two young guys named Matt and Trevor in their teens or early 20s were talking about on AOL Instant Messenger. You know, they're reading newsletters. They're, they're thinking about wrestling. They're thinking about the booking. They're, they're, they, they're aware of the inside information. The fact that they fooled this crowd – and that everyone thought, oh, he's definitely gone, and they kept it a secret. That's amazing. But more than that, it, it's hard to fool those fans. But in a way, it's not hard to fool those fans because, like, Vince Russo fooled fans all the time. But what he just did was he, – he it's easy to fool wrestling fans if you just do what doesn't make sense. Like, Vince Russo, a lot of the time, we just go, oh, what do fans not expect? And then I do it, and it's a surprise. But then people quickly realize it's a surprise because if you do what fans don't expect – Usually they don't expect it because it doesn't fucking make sense and it makes the show worse. But this was a surprise where not only was it a huge surprise, it makes the show better. You know, it, because it creates this environment where you um you don't know what's going to happen. And, and I feel like we'll, I'll read some news notes from afterwards and we'll go into it on future shows. Even after this, I, I would say within a week – on the night of the show, I think because, the only thing that Christopher Daniels things d does that I think is bad on this night is I think if Punk just leaves, fans will have been even more in the dark on what was to come. I think when Christopher Daniels comes out and stuff, you know definitely they're gonna have Punk's gonna have at least one more match. It's gonna be against Daniels, and obviously Punk's gonna have a bunch more matches and and all that. But I, I think I think it was pointless to try and keep the mystique that high though because. By the next week in the newsletters, all the newsletter, newsletter guys had checked in with their sources in WWE. Their sources told them, no, Punk is signed with OVW. He's going to be there. And they quickly figured out what was the reality, which was Punk is going to is still going to be in Ring of Honor for at least one more show, but he's still going to OVW. This, this, yeah. His whole thing going to WWE is not a work. Can I, can I, can I speak yeah, to that actually for ahead, a second? Go ahead. Because yeah. it actually – one thing I forgot until I read some of these newsletters is – they were still working the newsletters because the newsletters are like, oh, yeah, Punk is still going to be starting with OVW really soon. So he's only going to be on one more show. And like exactly. and like yeah. it seems pretty obvious in retrospect that the whole plan was to go to Chicago and have Punk leave in Chicago, which was in late August or mid-August, uh, maybe even early August. I don't remember now. But like the newsletters were still being told and still reporting that Punk was gone after another like one or two shows at this point. Which they were acting like the next show was it for yeah, him. Yeah, which is something that I had forgotten. Like now I remember, like looking back, but like I had forgotten. Like people still th didn't realize what the what the end game was here, even though in retrospect it seems pretty obvious. Yeah, and I, again, that's another amazing part about fooling people is they managed to create this. Uh, uh, they managed to create this environment. I, I actually think it's perfect the amount that people figured out after that the week after this with the newsletters and stuff because they created this environment where everyone knew Punk was leaving into OVW to OVW in the relatively near future. He was going to lose the world title, but you didn't know when and you didn't know who he was going to lose it to. I guess after this show you might think Daniels, but then it, that would play out even. So, and I think that's that's the perfect thing because yes, it would be crazy if it was completely in the dark, but I think. There's something special about the idea of I kind of know what's going to happen, but I don't know exactly and I don't know when. Like, you, you I, I think it was a really cool environment that wrestling often doesn't have that Gabe and Punk, they managed to create around this angle. Especially on those very next two shows. So I think after that, more people started figuring out, like, okay, he's probably going to hold it till, like, he's probably going to be there till Chicago. But, yeah. like, on the very next two shows, both nights, Punk wrestled guys who you would not expect. 
um, as main eventers, and both nights people bought that they could win the title. And, like, that's because of this. Yeah, and um, and, and it's just an amazing thing to watch this angle in the sense of, I, I don't know, has, how many times in history have there ever been, can you think of, because your memory is better for stuff like this, has there ever been something where a guy was so beloved in the match, and he, and granted, I think a lot of those fans still love him and they're just booing because they know it's their role. But to go from the fans loving this guy to within a few minutes of his promo after the match, they're chanting like CM pussy and stuff like that. Like, like the swing he managed to get them to go from people that were so emotionally like just in love with this guy to just treat him like a big heel is, is an amazing thing to watch. Well, they wanted it to happen with Steve Austin at WrestleMania 17, but it didn't. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the closest thing you could think of is Hulk Hogan at Bash at the Beach, right? I mean, he didn't really yeah. wrestle that match, but when he came out, he did get a lot of cheers, and people were really into him. Um, and then they were throwing things in the ring after he turned heel. So I guess, you know, that would be the closest thing, at least in modern times. And I, um, so all of that is great. You know, I love all that. So now I'm going to say my, um, my somewhat controversial thing, maybe, um, I think Punk's delivery of this promo is five stars. I think Punk, um, what it accomplished in this angle is amazing. It's five stars. I don't think the content of what Punk said is his best work. And I'll, I'll lay it out like this. Um, Punk is a guy who has said that most of his promos he just come off the top of his head. He doesn't pre-plan things. He doesn't like doing that generally. And I think most promos that are great in wrestling, you know, a lot of times there are, there are good scripted promos, even though I think most of the great promos aren't scripted. But uh, the point is, I think the common denominator of most great promos is it feels like it's coming from the heart even when it isn't. It feels like it's coming off the top of your head even when it isn't. And I think Punk often had that. I think like if you look at the the Raven promo I, t- I referenced earlier, um, even though we learned in researching that show that the, ra- the that the Punk revealing his dad was an alcoholic was actually Gabe's idea and that Gabe initially didn't even know that Punk's dad was actually an alcoholic, like – Punk adds personal touches to that. You know, he he talks about his dad. Oh, like I thought it was like he gets he mentions his dad's specific brand of beer and how he used to come in drunk from like lawn work and how he thought it was normal. Like he makes it really personal. He adds the emotion to it. The middle of this promo is all about, you know, Punk saying I fooled you. And he does a Jake Roberts, you know, parable. You know, Jake might have done like the scorpion version instead of the snake version, but basically it's it's word for word that well-known parable. And then he immediately quotes um, the usual suspects line. And those are – that's a cool parable and that's a cool line, but that did feel kind of like a rare moment of punk just – like he probably thought that shit in the car two months ago. I was like, that would be some cool shit to say. And, it, and it's very – it doesn't quite it, – it's a bit of – I don't know. It's something about that just rings a little more, like I said, like, like it's cool shit to say and not coming from the heart, even though it completely works in the context of the angle. And the other thing I would say why I, I the content's a little bit worse for me is Punk at one point, like he, he, he almost acts in this promo. He does explain his heel turn in the sense of, you know, I manipulate you fans because I get off on it. But most of this promo, he's kind of acting like he was a face because he had to be a face to get the world title. Like he says at one point, I did what I had to do to become world champion. But in storyline, 
Punk didn't do anything heelish to get to the world title, and he never needed to. Like, he won matches. He wins the match completely clean. I'm not saying he should have been a heel in the match, because I think that would have hurt some of the impact of the turn. But, again, if we're talking about the content of the promo, the content kind of acts like, I fooled you, all of you, to, like, get this title. But nothing about him pretending to be a face got him closer to the title. And so I always thought that was a little bit weird. So Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think... That's everything you're saying is totally fair. I didn't quite read it as him saying that he fooled them to get the title, though. I, I sort of read it as he fooled them just because he enjoyed playing with their, you know, playing with their emotions. Like that was just like sort of like I, you know, I, I, I just, I, you know, I, I, I went on Ricky Steamboat's side and I just played you all like a fiddle just because I get off on it. Like I, I didn't put the connect that like that's how he got the title. I just thought it was sort of like now that I have the title, fuck you, I'm leaving with it, you know. And like just he's revealing he's evil. But I do think you're onto something in one sense. This version of the CM Punk heel character, like I said, is a lot more evil than the other version. And I also think it's a lot less um, reality based. Like yeah. he's much more playing a character than he ever was before. Like in, in other times, you know, it's, it's that whole, my personality turned up a bunch of notches. This is much more like, Mwahaha, I'm a villain. Yeah. He's twirling his mustache and telling yeah. you his entire plan, like how I fooled all of you all this time. And, you know, I fooled Ricky Steamboat and look at this, but yeah. And not just, yeah. this, not just this promo. This is the character that he plays over yeah. the next few shows too. One interesting, another interesting, I want your take on about this is, Punk never mentions WWE in this pro- – and he will in his next show. He'll make a big – there's a big angle all relating to him going to WWE. And I like – I wonder if that was – if they did – I wonder if that was a conscious decision trying to keep the fans more confused in the aftermath of this one show because he never want like if he wanted to get even more heel heat, it would have been so easy for him to have said like, and I'm taking this to WWE, you know, I'm going to give this to Triple H because you know that would have gotten huge boos. But he never – like even when he says I'm taking this belt and I'm leaving, he never once says where he's going to. He never says in WWE a single time on this night. Yeah, maybe they were worried that it was going to fall through. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, so, it's possible. so that, I, it's possible. I thought that was interesting yeah. too. Yeah. Um, and, and finally, the last thing I'll have to say about this thing is I agree with you largely about the Daniels thing where I, I feel like Daniels was in a difficult position because I thought he cut a, pr- a very good promo, but anyone having to immediately follow the CM Punk promo and that angle, like you were doing, you were in a bind, like it was not going to be, it was like fo- following Samoa Joe's title reign. Um, I, I think it I think it was gonna be really tough and but I still think it was good and I think Daniels he whether he 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 walked the line which he was gonna have to do for years in wrestling, which was be a TNA guy while also often being a babyface in Indies that hated TNA. Like having to cut a promo where he basically said, I chose TNA over you guys, but still making it a babyface promo where the Ring of Honor fans accepted it, like I think that's a hard line to walk, and I think he walked it there. Which... Yeah, yeah, it is funny though. Like, just in terms, like it's because he's so respected. But in terms of content, it is funny to be like, you know, I had to choose what I had to choose, but you know, I always enjoyed remembering how much I liked being here. <laughs> like, that's basically what he said. Honey, I broke up with you, but I think of that time we went on vacation together really fondly. Like, doesn't that make you feel better? But yeah, yeah, and somehow it worked. The crowd ex- completely accepts it by the end. You know, right. they're welcoming him, ba- welcome backing him, and all that stuff. But again, if so- I think if someone with less talent and, le- and like you said, less respect from the fans did a promo that's basically saying, "I chose the company you hate over you, but now I'm back," 
it could have gone worse. You know, it could have been yes. accepted, taken worse. Shane but, um, Douglas style. <laughs> Ring of Honor is the shit. But um, so there, I then got a little bit of reaction from the various newsletters. First, we'll go to the Pro Wrestling Torch. They actually kind of brought up um, how Punk set up this night because they said regarding signing with WWE, Punk sent his online journal before the show. I knew I was gone at the beginning of the year. I w- just woke up one day and knew. That's the way I work a lot of the time. I think it's creepy too, but it's really helpful. I honestly knew I'd be history by June. Come say goodbye on Saturday. I promise to go out with a bang. Trust me. And so obviously Punk, you know, teasing everyone right there. Regarding Punk's contributions to Ring of Honor, Gabe Zapolsky said his time in the company meant a great deal to him personally. Quote, something that means a lot to me is something that Punk said to me the other day, said Zapolsky. He felt like his job here was done. He did his part to make this company strong and stable, and now he knows he can move on with Ring of Honor being in good health. It means so much to me that Punk stayed here as long as he did in order to make this company strong. Punk sacrificed on so many levels to make this company strong, and he is definitely leaving a strong company that's ready for its future. And then the tortious remarks, Punk rang Ring of Honor's training school, which will now be taken over by Austin Aries. Of course, if you watch, like, there's a little segment at the end of the show that promotes the school. You could clearly see Aries is already the head trainer there, obviously, because he's running the wrestlers through drills. Um, PW Torch also would write, Punk won the Ring of Honor title after signing with WWE, and the assumption among many was that his win was a going-away present. Sources in Ring of Honor, though, say that this had been plans, there had been, that says there had been plans for Punk to win the title for months and turn heel no matter what. The pacing of everything may have been sped up, though, based on Punk's limited time left in Ring of Honor. And then we'll go to The Observer. The Observer wrote, in what was billed as his final match in Ring of Honor, CM Punk captured the Ring of Honor title from Austin Aries on June 18th in Morristown, New Jersey, and then left the building with the belt with Booker Gabe Sapolsky screaming, he stole the fucking belt. That's another thing we should mention, Matt. Um, they do not capture on the DVD, but apparently they tried to work this as like a shoot in the building with Gabe coming out and being like, he stole the belt, he stole the belt. There are a number of times in ROH where they do that. Where Gabe like really goes like heavy into like this is a shoot, and then by the time they do the DVD, they're they're sort of like, um, yeah, that was probably a mistake. And, they and I feel and like they don't you go can't there. do that when you also do the Christopher Daniels thing, yeah, because that's clearly an angle setting up a CM Punk match, and you can't act like Punk is shooting and then shoot an angle with like, oh, like oh, we're definitely seeing Christopher Daniels versus CM Punk. I mean, but like, any- that's such a stupid thing to pretend is a shoot, you know? Like, like anyone really is going to be like CM Punk of all people is like, haha, I'm stealing. Like, why would any like why would he do that? That doesn't make any sense. Like, and any- as we got. Like, oh, I was gonna say anybody who knows like him as a person, his relationship to ROH, like that's just so out of character for anything he or any other indie wrestler in 2005 to do that. It just there's there's no way that anyone would buy that. And we've already gone through that. Like they fooled the fans plenty with this angle. Like you don't need to work it to the next level. But right. anyway, um, going back to the Observer. Dave writes the idea to work from what fans knew and believe. The idea to work from oh, Dave's grammar anyway the idea to work from what fans knew and believed that with punk leaving that he had to lose to aries sapolsky and punk did the opposite it was meant as a copy of an august 26 1999 angle from the elks lodge in queens that paul Heyman did in ecw when everyone knew the dudleys were leaving for wwe and this was their last night Heyman booked them as challengers against tag champs spike dudley and balls mahoney and had them shock everyone and win the title this was just a transition title switch as raven was brought back on that show 
show us a surprise, and Raven and arch-rival Tommy Dreamer formed an impromptu team and beat the Dudleys to win the titles that same show. That's so the right. Got- I, forgot, I forgot that that was like the one that was like the analog to that moment. That's that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, and I got a little thing to say after too, but yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? I forgot that too. So Dave writes, so the fans got two shocks instead of what they expected. Sapolsky, who is a Heyman booking protege, took from this the idea of both doing the surprise title change, but also the idea that when somebody big leaves to keep people from dwelling on it, use someone that same show to bring somebody back. In this case, that co- the company brought back AJ Styles as advertised. P.D. Williams is a mystery guy and also brought back Christopher Daniels, who they had who they had advertised as coming back next month. Although not everything went down smoothly, the end result of the show was was that the 650 fans in attendance thought that maybe Punk's leaving for WWE was all a work since he ended the show as a, as champion. And there was a huge amount of talk coming out of the show. In reality, Punk had already signed a developmental deal with WWE and will be starting shortly in OVW. Punk is said to be happy with this, and he should be, because coming in as an indie superstar right to WWE TV means he'll have to literally get put in his place at first and have it made clear that he's not on the level of the real stars before, before if he survives that period, he can get pushed. Plus, there will there were... There will be people who will be looking for chinks in his armor to show he really doesn't know how to work. In OVW, he'll be able to avoid dealing with that mindset. If he goes to OVW, gets over, and he's a good enough talker that nobody in OVW of the contractor wrestlers can touch him there, in a few months, the indie superstar taint will be off of him. Um, the crowd in Morristown was going crazy for Punk for his farewell. Suppose he had planned that he would win the title because he felt that everyone would want him to win and the going away atmosphere would be ruined if he fell short of winning the title, which he was being groomed for later this year. Punk and Sapolsky had worked out a scenario, much of what he did, although in fast forward on the show, to set him up as a long-term heel champ after winning the title as a face. Fans were chanting for him the entire match, and they cheered every move he did. The crowd booed Aries, everything Aries did. The match went 30-30, and several people live called it a match of the year candidate. Some were saying it was better than the Punk versus Samoa Joe match from Chicago last year that placed for third for match of the year, and it's the most famous match in company history. Punk is scheduled to return for one last date on on June on oh no, July eighth in Long Lake Grove, Long Island. For whatever this is worth, Heyman always went to great lengths to protect the lineage of the title and hated the idea of doing a tournament for belts, even to the point of keeping the belt for months on injured wrestlers. And Sapolsky likely feels the same way. So a few things to go over there, Matt. But first, um, and this is going right to what you said. Dave seems convinced Punk is only go- like Dave makes it sound like Punk's going to one more show, even though that those two. That was a double shot for Ring of Honor. So it would be weird to book Punk only for one night of a double shot. If he can work one night, he could probably work two, right? So, but people really thought, like, maybe he'd only work one more show. So that's kind of crazy. Yeah, I, I pretty, I kind of remember going going to the New York show, but not the Long Island show, and being like, oh, man, I guess I won't get to see Punk. Like, I, I kind of remember thinking that when I bought the ticket, which is which is weird. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no, like, not when I bought the ticket. When I when I planned on going, that that's when I thought it, yeah. And so the other thing I, another thing that's really interesting is the, uh, is, is the thing about we, the ECW thing. I was referencing that. And I wonder if that, what, what, uh, Gabe did here was like a swerve on a swerve in the sense of, you know, he, Dave talks about the entire ECW thing where the idea is, 
you 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 um you make everyone think the guy's going to be losing because they're on their way out, but then they win the title. But then the in ECW they immediately drop that title the same night to someone new. Here, Gabe kind of does like an extra turn on that where he's like, because again, you watch the angle that night. I think everyone as soon as Daniels comes in the ring, they're trying to ring the bell and stuff. They think they're going to get another ECW type swerve where. Daniels is going to play the Raven Tommy Dreamer role and win the title that night, probably in like five minutes. And Gabe doesn't give that to him. He's like, no, you, you don't get a match at all. And I think that's a really cool twist playing off of that ECW history. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that's sort of what I what I was saying. Like, just like like that was the analog for what he was going for. Like, and I, and I, and I don't and I don't think I realized that until Dave, you know, until I read what Dave wrote. That that was like, you know, because I know like that was what they were doing. Like they were like they were playing off like that. This is the that's what the crowd expected but that specific moment with raven it's like that was there in the back of my head but i had forgotten about the specifics so uh and i would say even though you like this match a little bit more than me i think even though i was people two people that think this match is great people that are saying this match was better than joe versus punk i wouldn't so say so but again like if being, I was yeah, being, there, night, being at a place live, like you, you, it can do a, it can do a lot to your mind. Like being in that atmosphere, so it doesn't shock me at all that yeah. some people thought that. In the building that night, I might have felt the same way. But so finally, one last thing before we get to the end of the show, um, I, there was another thing from the Observer where Dave ended up getting to see the match a few weeks later, and always a rarity for Dave because he didn't review many Ring of Honor matches at this point. So. Dave wrote up, I saw the June 18th Punk vs. Aries title match from Morristown, New Jersey. I'd give it four and a half stars, but the whole hour segment from the ring introductions to the end of the show with the Daniels promo was excellent. Punk did a tremendous promo. Even if the snake story was done in several Jake Roberts promos in the past, it's the delivery in the end. It's funny watching Punk do a strong heel turn and people cheering him because he's doing a good job with the turn as he insults them. But he got people to boo him enough. The walking out with Gabe Sapolsky chasing him was a little cheesy, but the last part of the show was the was the Daniels promo. So, Matt, it sounds like G- Dave saw on video Gabe Sapolsky chasing after Punk. Yeah, That's I, not on the DVD. Well, I think that I think that was pretty common for Dave to get some like more raw, raw, footage. raw footage type stuff. Yeah, I don't yeah. you know I don't know that specifically happened this time, but it sounds like it did. Well, it sounds like they then if they if if that was in the raw footage, it sounds like they cut that from the raw. I mean, obviously they cut from the raw footage. But anyway, so we cut to Jack Evans and Roderick Strong backstage on the DVD. Gabe asks from behind the camera if Aries is coming. Strong says, "Do you really think Aries really wants to talk right now after he just lost the most precious thing in his possession?" Jack says, "Speaking of that, he doesn't know if he belongs here. He thinks he might have to disappear for a while. He's been letting. He says he's let he and Roddy down three times now in a row, and he feels like he's holding them back. He says when he's ba- when he comes back, he'll be back on his game." Um, the Observer wrote about this. Evans told the promotion he needed to take a few months off to heal after all his injuries from doing his crazy style. He said he may work J- Jersey All Pro because he says he has to drop the title, the tag title there. They are going to do a storyline where Ari, where Evans is pulling himself out for extra training. I think Evans ended up working like more than just JAPW, but he would be gone from Ring of Honor for a few months. And then, um, we cut to Don and Marcos taking the ring down. Marcos says they have Loke and DeVito running scared because they don't see them anywhere. They're going to make them once bitten, twice shot. <laughs> Which, like a that, battle song. That's a funny promo. Like it's not like it's it's not over the top funny, but the fact that like they got you know that they say they have Loke and DeVito running scared after the previous <laughs> two matches like that that's 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 funny. 
Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, we cut to Colt Cabana backstage. It's the end of the show, and Colt introduces CM Punk as his guest for Good Times, Great Memories. Punk still doesn't show up. Colt's in denial. He's very sad. He thinks he's going to be there, but he isn't, and he just looks sad, and Punk isn't showing up. And then we go to um, ads for the wrestling merch sold on Ring of Honor website, ads for the Ring of Honor Wrestling School, and then finally we join Austin Aries in front of a black wall. A graphic on the screen tells us this promo was taped several days after the show. Aries has had time to reflect and says he's gotten a lot of supportive calls and emails, but asks for no one to feel sorry for him. He says all the greats have won and lost world titles in their careers, and he's no different. He's proud of what he accomplished, saying he had over 20 title defenses in 10 different promotions across five countries. Aries says he kept the integrity and honor of the title at the high Samoa Joe had. The only thing he's pissed off at is what Punk did after he handed him the belt. Aries says he had a lot left to accomplish in Ring. He has a lot left to accomplish in Ring of Honor. Jack Evans is going to rest and get his head straight. Generation Next is going to retool, and Aries views this not as the end of a title run, but the beginning of a legacy. So, I guess Matt, this would be a good time to reflect. Like, what do you think now that it's over about Aries' title reign? Because I think it was. Pretty good. It wasn't great, but I think pretty good considering what it had to follow is like a win in itself because I think he was stepping into impossible shoes. And I've always talked about how in wrestling or outside of wrestling, you never want to be the guy following up like a legendary run. You want to be the guy that's like following the guy who had to follow the legendary run, you know, and I think the fact that the fans didn't reject him. Is, is a huge win for his right. And I feel like Aries, he had a couple great matches. I thought this match was great. I thought the Colt Cage match was great. And he had a ton of matches I would give three and three quarter stars to. There was a lot of matches where I felt like there was just something missing, but every match I felt like Aries was working his ass off. I felt like Aries was trying his absolute hardest to live up to like the standard. And overall, if, if there was something that let Aries rain down, it's his character wasn't great. Like he wasn't a really clear face or heel. He was kind of a heel, but he would always shake everyone's hands after the matches. He always won clean. He, um, even his character, his whole character's world champion was just, I defend the title in a lot of places and I work hard, which I mean, that's nice, but that's not really a great character. You can sink your teeth into like, yay, you're going to defend this title against Ricky Marvin in Mexico tomorrow. And we're not going to see it. Like that's not a, a super like great character for ring of honor fans but overall i thought aries did a good job um well first i want to reflect on the promo itself this was the first air this was aries first babyface promo right like in roh yeah. this is the first one he ever did you know i thought it was pretty good um but uh also what he says in this promo about what's going to happen with jack evans what's going to happen to generation next this is the rare promo where he sort of is like this is what's going to happen and then everything he says is what actually happens yeah. Right, like Evans comes back, they they go on to bigger and better things. Aries and Strong win the tag team titles. Generation Next does retool and come back stronger. Like it's 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 just interesting to see. Like oh, that all actually panned out in the booking. Like that's pretty cool. Like I I, I was impressed by that. And the other thing is, as far as the title reign, he mentions in the promo he had over twenty title defenses in ten different promotions in five different countries. Like just like legit, isn't that really impressive in that amount of time? Yeah, and certainly Joe was the first guy who I think defended the title outside of another country and made it the world title. But yeah, Aries was the first guy to really like just defend it everywhere. And yeah, and just that's a lot of matches to have on the Indies uh, for for a title in from December to June, right? Like I, 
I think that that that's pretty good. Like, and that you know, he didn't just have title matches either. You know, he was also doing other stuff. So that's a lot of stuff. Um, but um, yeah, no, I agree with you. I, I actually think I probably liked his reign even more than you did because I just tended to be a little bit higher on the matches. Yeah. Than you did. Like I know you like one of the Gibson matches a bit more than me, so I, yeah. I think you'd, yeah, you'd probably say he had probably had at least three great. Yeah, like, but yeah. almost like almost everything was really good at least though. Like, and he wrestled. You know, I saw a couple. I know some people think, oh, like you know, did Aries get his reign cut short? I think six months is a good length for a reign. And when you look at it, he wrestled basically every major name. Like he wrestled Punk. He wrestled. He beat Joe for the title and beat him in a rematch. He beat Daniels in a title defense. He wrestled, beat Homicide. He beat Colt Cabana twice. He uh, he beat Alex Shelley. He went to a draw. James Gibson and beat James Gibson in the he rematch. Lost, like he, he lost to Loki. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He had basically run the table of the top names. Yeah. No, I I don't really like. I don't think there was any like. Unlike with Joe, I don't think there were any other matches that people were like clamoring for. With yeah. Aries title reign. I think it was a good time to end it. I think it was a good title reign. I think it was as good as you could ask anybody to have done. First of all, being elevated into that spot and following like the most legendary title reign in independent wrestling history. So, I um. I think he could, and I'm sure he is. Like, but he can be pretty proud of that reign. Yeah, absolutely. So, finally, we get something we're not going to cover because, as Matt, I always forget this, and I and I agree with Matt on this. But sometimes there will be like an FIP bonus match on a DVD, and I'll send a message to Matt like just to make sure we're not we're not covering this right. And you always say we're never reviewing an FIP match. It is so curt and definitive; it always makes me laugh. But like, not that not that I, there were not that there weren't any good FIP matches. It's just more like. These shows are freaking long. Like, yeah, exactly. does anyone care about an FIP match that no one is ever going to find or watch? Like, it's a way. Exactly. It's a, it's like no offense to FIP, which again has good matches, but that's kind of like not a good use of time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, we're not going to review everything like that. But I just want to point out is it's a bonus match on the end of the DVD, and the match is from FIP, and it's CM Punk versus James Gibson from the FIP Florida Rumble, and I really, I, I have to imagine this was Gabe maybe giving a little wink, you know, like, cause Gabe had to know at this point how things were going to play out. And, um, I think that's a cute little touch. Oh, one yeah. other thing I, before we get to the end of the show, now I know we're going long, but I just want to ask this. I forgot to ask, um, a few things that the, the newsletter said multiple, like the torch and the, uh, observer both mentioned how punk winning the world title in 2005 was always in the plans and him turning heel was always in the plans but it was going to be later in the year, and this just sped it up. And also that what you – like I think it was the Observer that said like what happened on this show was like just a condensed version of what they had planned. But here's the thing I wonder about that. This whole heel turn is kind of predicated around the idea that Punk is leaving. Like how could you – like how could that have been the plan? Like it couldn't – like if, if their plan – I could see their plan being for later in the year, Punk wins the Ring of Honor World Talent turns heel. But their plan couldn't have been this kind of heel turn because the heel turns all built around Punk signs somewhere. Yeah, I mean I guess they just would have had to just figure something else out, right? Like yeah. they would have had to just figure out a different explanation, a different path to getting there. And this kind of just kind of handed them an easy one. And I'm glad they took it because it worked out very well. So uh, that brings us finally to the end of this show. This was a double DVD set. If you ever buy the DVD on eBay or something, although we did skip a lot of the filler, that the the, the punk highlights that helped expand it. But still, um, Matt, 
What do you think about the show? Obviously, I mean, there's something up top that's just – it's hard not to recommend the show with that. But what do you think about the show as a whole? I think it's easy not to recommend the show if you can just like, figure out a way to watch the final segment, you know, um, because the show itself before that, I don't think there's anything that you need to go out of your way to see. Uh, there's some good I, – I think my second favorite match was the uh, pure title match. I, uh, Me too. I, I enjoyed that very much. Um, but – there's a lot of stuff that really pissed me off with the uh, the Jade Chung stuff. Like it's just it's just going to be really hard to get through that stuff. You know, like it, it taints an era of ROHs that I like a lot. There are also a lot of disappointing matches on the show, in my opinion. Um, some bad finishes, um, but like you said, I mean that that final hour is just so beyond spectacular. A great match, a all time angle. Um, it just works so well. Incredible crowd reactions. Just, you know, this is, this is really, I mean, it really is a one-match show, which is, it's, I mean, it's a shame in that, that a one-match show comes on such a long show, because um, yeah. it, it makes the, the rest of the show just be like, okay, let's get to, let's get to the good stuff, but um, that one match is just, you know, it's just so legendary. It's like, um, I, I could compare it to like Music City Showdown, NWA 1989, where it was like, it was all about Flair versus um, Steamboat, but you know, fucking Flair versus Steamboat with the Terry Funk angle at the end. This is like ROH's version of that. Um, so, yeah, watch that match. Definitely. Watch the post-match. Definitely. Um, the show itself, you know, not great, but who cares? Yeah, uh, I I would say with the show, like, it's weird, the undercard. I feel like Ring of Honor had re- has reached a point here in mid-2005 where I feel like the low end of Ring of Honor matches is the average low end is higher than ever because I feel like most of the matches tonight I was saying, oh, that's three stars. You know, that's three stars where I feel like when we started covering Ring of Honor 2002, it was like there were some matches that were outright did not hold up and were not good. Oh, yeah, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's not even close to how terrible the undercards were in, in that era, yeah. And then 2003, we were like, oh, my God, this is crazy. Now every match is like usually average at least. And now I feel like we've gotten to the point where like – if a match is even average, it's disappointing. Like you kind of want everything to be approaching three stars, even like the throwaway undercard matches. And I think Ring of Honor has gotten there. I think the, the downside is on a show like this, which is there's a lot of great wrestlers. And other than I would say the main event and Joe versus Colt, nothing really gets very away from three stars. Like you would kind of love, like if this show had another four star match, I mean, I'd be talking a lot different, but again, the show's a it's it's not a painful to watch all the way through, but this is a show where the the rest of the show could have been dog shit. And I mean, the last hour it's it's essential viewing if you are a Ring of Honor fan, if you into the history of Ring of Honor, if you're just into the history of the kind of this era of wrestling, I think even, or if you just like CM Punk at all, exactly. And, and I I feel like this is one of those shows where. That one hour is worth the price of admission, and it, you kind of have to see it if you're interested in any of those topics. Because punk, ROH, even 2005 wrestling, because it's 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 that important and that noteworthy, and yeah, it's it's worth it just on that. It's on on its own merit. So, um, with that, we are done for this episode. The summer of the summer of punk. I'm Marcos. <laughs> I'm done. You're Marcos. <laughs> And you're someone's someone's dad in the backseat just groaned because he ate too much at Applebee's. But anyway, so plugs. You can contact contact us at through the years at gmail.com. That's T H R O H for through. I am on Twitter at Trevor Dame. 
Matt is on Twitter at Mayor MGF. We have a thread on the Pro Wrestling Only plug section. Uh, next time on the show, we will be covering, and as the, as the summer of the summer of punk marches on, we are into it now, Sign of Dishonor, which will be punk completely changing up kind of his look, his theme music, doing another famous in-ring promo. He'll be defending the title against Jay Lethal. All sorts of stuff will be happening. And I believe, Matt, that is also the Ring of Honor commentary debut of Lenny Leonard. So they should have, they should, they should have called this show Death Before Sign of Dishonor. Anyway, (laughs) was that my peak dad joke of the night? Based on your laugh, I'm going to say yes. (laughs) That is so Matt. I brought me. I'll be kind of myself. I gave myself like I had a B B plus game tonight. You, Matt. I think everyone will end the show agreeing this was a Matt Feuerstein A plus. This is. Oh, I don't know about that. Someone get Winston Churchill, Winston Churchill out here because this was your finest hour. Listen, I don't know. I don't know about all that, but as long as you think so, I'm happy. Fans, if you agree, Mayor MGF, shower this guy with praise. He, he, Lord knows, he's too hard on himself. So until next time, have a good time. Have a great time.